Welcome to Savvy Sabs Podcast on Call-In. This is episode 40, Cornell West interview recap. So uh, just finished interviewing Cornell West. Definitely want to hear from you guys. Uh, there was a lot talked about there. Um, I actually, I had, I ended up with more questions than I started out with, <laughs> but that happens. Oh crap, was that my remote? Sorry. That happens sometimes with interviews. Like sometimes I'll have like, five or six questions written down. And then I end up asking, uh, depending on the way the conversation goes, but uh, I see we already have a caller. So I'm going to go ahead and bring in William. Okay. Uh, William, you are on the mic. Hi, Savvy. Can you hear me? Okay. I can. Hello. How are you? Um, well, I, well, first of all, obviously great admiration for Cornell West, Jim Hedge, uh, Chris Hedges. But I have to be totally honest, you know, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but somehow I feel like I watched a civil rights icon that is talking about a formula and doing things that were, was effective and maybe could have been effective, but with this new era, with the World Economic Forum putting out their agenda right up front now, you know, you and I have talked about this a little bit. The oligarchs that really run the show. I I don't know what to say. I just feel we're disempowered because of the NGOs today and the power they have. We have we have Klaus Schwab bragging about how they penetrated world governments, the young global leaders, the global influencers. And clearly through the World World Health Organization, you know, that I don't know what I can say here about COVID and not because I want to be sensitive to not get you in any sticky wickets. You know what I mean? But wow, that, that coordinated effort to the World Health Organization just shows how tyrannical and uh, just throws us right in headlong into their agenda. Do you know what I mean? Supply chain shortages, uh, in, rampant inflation, uh, uh, you know, bilking of the middle class. I told you my father's business uh, that I held the note got closed on during this thing. Fifty-year bicycle shop cut my uh, what was my income in half on my SSDI. Um, there's, there's. The, I'm disabled. Uh, not to get. Let me speak up for the people disabled SSDI. Some point, I'd like to have discussion about how it took two years to get a hearing and how fraudulent the whole system is and how, uh, you know, 10,000 people a year die just trying to get in line to, when it's all a paper shuffle. Do you follow me? In other words, do you have the records to prove it from your doctors or not? Do you follow me? And look what happens. So that we're not seeing the constructive change. We had, in other words, in the bigger picture, you know, uh, like we talked about the outsourcing that Ross Perot warned us about. You know, I don't need to rehash all that. Anyone who's heard me speak, you know, you know, naming off all those trade agreements, the sucking sound that sucked our jobs out, let people. Uh, Bridgeport now is a sacrifice zone. My father had six employees at the bike shop at one time. He was able to support a family with uh, four kids, and then it gets foreclosed on. Not because of our efforts, we only family business still open, follow me, but because of the outsourcing and the poverty in Bridgeport and the just 
I don't know what else to say other than the, the, the predatory capitalism that brought our jobs out and away. Do you follow me? And left urban decay, okay? So this is where I grew up and I've just seen it spiral down. Do you follow what I'm saying? And so, and that's a community of all nationalities. So, and this is emblematic. Do you follow me? So all the efforts, all the desires, all the good hard work, all the marching, all the, you know, uh, uh, getting behind Bernie or first behind Obama. You know what I mean? You and I talked about that, uh, how th that crushed the hopes when we saw what really went on there. Then getting behind Bernie, see what happens with the DNC primaries, you know, 2016, and then again, 2020. It, it, it seems like there's a bigger oppressive, and I think it is, control mechanism way above our politics. You know, you know, George Carlin, who owns America, we can say who owns the world. Now, Bilderberg used to be in secret, right? Their meetings, and then they made the World Economic, the World Economic Forum their face. You know what I mean? And they're showing us their cards. You know what I mean? And if you go to their website, you know, you will, in the future, you will own nothing, have no privacy, and be happy. That's their mantra. It's, they literally have a video, you know, depicting this. Do you follow me? And then you see the 2018 agenda for the Belt and Road and how they portray it. And then you look at how they shift the narrative on their 2022 article on the Belt and Road Initiative. But what the whole agenda is, uh, is well established already uh, in the process from the tr trade agreements that sucked the jobs out of here to begin with. Um, a lot of people say, you know, my, my father had a great job and then, uh, you know, uh, he got laid off, you know, from a union. And then uh, he had to take a pay cut and maybe move the family. The benefits were lower. Even the company I used to work for, and I'll, I'll take a breath, but the company I used to work for doing the uh, environmental cleanup work, it reached a point during the 2008, uh, you know, housing market decline and, you know, the wolves of Wall Street, where I lived in Southern Cal. When they wanted me to work up north, of course, they put me up in a hotel. I was a lead operator on a federal super fund site. So now I'm away from home. So they put me in the hotel you know, give me a per diem, pay me a good wage. When I, someone asked about prevailing wage, when when one of the, I saw some of the comments and to the you asked, it went, that, those, that's non-union work when on the federal super fund sites, just take a second to clear that up. But prevailing wage is equivalent to union wage. That's what prevailing, when you're working prevailing wage in a non-union job, it means it's equivalent pay rate to union rate. Does that make sense? So just so people understand what that was. So went from, so I was very skilled with security clearances, making good money. And then when the poop hit the fan in 2008, it went from that, you know what, if you're not willing uh, to move into the area, uh, you get laid off. And then you get laid off because, you know, I, got, I had a property down south with my fiance, right? And so I didn't want to move to Northern California, had a property I was happy with, go back home. The, the local job is booked up with uh, operators and then they call you. Here's what they do, did Savvy. They wait, they wait about a month and they call you. Um, would you reconsider coming back up and finding a place to live? We'll give you your job back, but there goes the, you know what I mean? Now you're, I, and that's, and people might say, well, geez, you're making good money. 
yeah, fine. But now, what do you do? Do you move? No. Did they pay for the transportation from northern to southern Cal? No. Now you're away from home full time, full time, and you're paying rent somewhere else. And either you take that offer or you don't work. You know what I mean? And so that's what it came down to. And so now you're in a point where you're forced. What do you do? You know, don't work or take the job, pay the rent up there, and then you're never going back and forth unless you fork up the travel costs. You see what I'm saying? Now, now, same kind of thing where people who are in factory jobs, you know that, like when they outsource the Delphi work out of Flint, Michigan the, to, to Mexico. You know what I mean? And a lot of people lost their jobs and the factory ends up where they got, what do those people do? You know, what I'm getting at is the, they've crushed the labor movement. It seems like our votes don't really matter. You know, uh, even if we get someone elected, we think is going to do something once they get in. I don't know if they're coerced somehow or intimidated, maybe even threatened. I don't know what happens. I just witnessed. Well, well William, when you get a chance, watch the watch the video that me and Nick and Fiorella, uh, Misty and Lucy just did earlier today on Revolutionary Blackout Network. It's a panel and it's called um, is is U.S. electoral. Are we? Oh, what is our U.S. electoral politics? Is wait a minute. I'm forgetting the title. Are U.S. electoral uh, politics fixed? It's a panel. You'll, you'll know which one it is because you'll see all of our faces on the uh, thumbnail. When you get a chance, watch that video. Because it tells you, yeah, it tells you everything that actually happens within the voting uh, system, what happens in with electoralism. So Fiorella, people like Fiorella and Misty, they were actually on the ground. They've covered multiple elections. So they yeah. talk about some of the things that they've seen in this country and what they've seen in other countries. And in some of the uh, global South countries, the difference, the big difference is they have paper ballots, have paper ballots, and the ballots are counted in front of the public. There is no secret room that you go back to to count these 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 ballots. There's no machine uh, when they went to cover the elections in Colombia. So there's a big difference. Everybody has election day off. So you don't have to take off time from work to vote. It's very different, very. So compared to what other countries have set up for election uh, process, the United States election process is heavily suspect. And looking back on it, I should have realized that during uh, 2000 with Gore versus uh, W, I should have realized that then, not later on in life, uh, because there were problems with electoralism then. So, and some people in the chat, they they may remember that, but there were problems with the system then, but... All I will say is this, this is why I keep telling people I'm not putting 80% of my time into voting. I'm putting 80% of my time into direct action and mutual aid. Now, does that mean I'm not going to vote like for a third party or independent? No, I would still go out and vote for them, but I'm not going to invest 80% of my time in it like I did with Bernie Sanders' campaign. That's the problem. 
Oh, I hear you. Uh, I'm sorry. Did just one assist? Did I cut you off? Oh no, go ahead. And then I, and um, then I'm going to go to the next caller. Yeah, of course. Okay, so quickly, I'll make one more point. We we see how Klaus Schwab and his you know henchmen have penetrated foreign governments like Canada, Trudeau, and uh, the uh, who's the fellow in charge of France right now? I'm having trying to senior moment here. Um, anyway, they're all part of the uh, you know young global leader uh, group, and uh, of course we had George W. Bush one talking about the new world order in his speeches, you know, and and uh, so this global global governance that has been talked about for decades, and now we see the face of it, you know, I'd say Doctor Evil and his sidekick, you know, just like the movie. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want the. I I mean, it's very serious, and and and. I just don't know that we really can do much about it. You know, unfortunately, I, 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 I so tell me what, when you say, I, I totally hear you on electoral politics. And so please define quickly uh, the mutual aid, how, how, how that can make a difference. Do you know, maybe I, I've heard you've talked about it. I didn't get it or, or can you help me out with that? Or should I tune into that uh, uh, YouTube and the, do you discuss it there or you know what I mean? So we're going to, I'm going to try to do a panel on mutual aid to teach, explain to everybody how to actually do it. Um, but the quick, the quick version right now is basically one of the things we do at RBN is we do this program called tour for the poor what happens is Rome will crowdfund and collect funds and he'll purchase supplies and food and items that people need. For example, He's just, I think he just did this the other day, which was the school drop-off. So he bought supplies for kids, like book bags, things that they need for school. Um, nine times out of 10, we're probably going to be doing one uh, for winter, winter clothes as well, like coats and stuff like that. Um, it's a different theme, different times he does, depending on where he's doing it at. So for example, when he came to Boston, and we did tour for the poor here. The main thing that we tried to focus on was getting tents and getting things like socks. That's something that's really needed here. So wow. we focused heavily on that, but we also got food and we also got hygiene products and hygiene packs and things like that. So the needs are going to vary depending on what community you're trying to do mutual aid for. But you know your neighborhood better than than I would. So you'll know what people will need. So I think that's the thing with it. But there's more that goes along with that. Mutual aid isn't just about raising money. It's also about helping people with favors. For example, mutual aid can be babysitting for someone for free because they can't afford to pay for daycare or they can't afford uh, a babysitter. It could be mowing someone's yard because they can't actually mow their lawn because maybe they hide us or something like that. It could be shoveling snow for someone. It's like mutual aid isn't just necessarily about raising money, but the difference from mutual aid and charity is that charity is top down. Mutual aid is horizontal. And typically when you do mutual aid, you have a relationship with the people in those communities. So they know when to expect you to come again. You know the, the needs that the community needs and what they're counting on. This is something that the Black Panthers did heavily. Um, and it works. And not only does it work, but it works immediately. 
because you're able to help them right then and there. (laughs) Um, And then another thing. I'm sorry, go ahead. Another thing that was also a big part of that was that the Black Panthers made free clinics. And that's another thing I know that we want to do as well with RB. And I think Rome is working on that. I think he said Boston, he wants that to be the first place. So that's another thing. These are other ways that you can help people in the community. And for people, it may sound like a lot, but it's been done before. So we're really not like reinventing the wheel. We're just, we're taking what has already been done and what's worked and we're just trying to do it again, but on a different scale. I, think um, I applaud that. Trickle down economics obviously hasn't worked. They're not going to fix it. <laughs> you know what I mean? No. No. And so I appreciate that. It sounds like it, it, when you're saying that, what clicks in mind is, you know, there was a movement in the early 1900s, like Christian socialism. You put the, the you know, loving the, your brother, your, your neighbor, and, and, and putting people first. And doing things like this out of love for one another, you know what I mean? And that's brotherly love. We all work together as opposed to the capitalistic model is profit at all costs. You know what I mean? And um, and uh, before yeah. people. Yeah. So yeah. thank you. Yeah. I, I really appreciate it, Sabi. I listened to you and I'm glad I, that uh, you clarified that for me because I listen to Cornell. I love him. You know, I love Chris, but there, it, it leaves one feeling like, what what can we do? And you just you just nailed it. So I look forward to that panel and 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 I will watch the, the video you suggest. I look forward to the next one. Thank you. Thank you so much, Liam. Um, all, all right, right so I'm bringing cool. in Delthea is here. Delthea's in the house. Yo 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 yo. Can you hear me? I can. <laughs> Yay. Always got to check it on when we're just talking to the air. I like your show tonight, because I loved your show. I loved it. Um, uh, can I be honest, Althea? Yeah. I don't know, man. I feel like some people are not as revolutionary as they used to be anymore. Okay. But Cornell, you got to remember, she's a preacher. He's always going to go for reconciliation. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay. I don't know, man. I feel, um, I feel like I'm striking out with the revolutionaries because there was with Adolf Reed and then oh, who else came on? And I was like, what happened to him? I couldn't remember <laughs> who it was, but <laughs> my dad <I> told me. <laughs> so. I know, you know, that, that, you know, it's like, it's like my mama used to say, you know, you, you take what you need and leave the rest. That's a and good that's point. What you need to, that's what you do at Cornell. You take what you need and then you leave the rest. Now, and I'm not saying that being a reconciliation person is a bad thing. I need a reconciliation person because I'm very bad at reconciliation. I'm very good at revenge, but I'm very bad at reconciliation. So we need that, but we also need the revenge people. And the trick is knowing when to activate which person. Oh. So before a lot of so a whole so before a whole lot of people decide, I don't ever want to listen to Cornell West again. No, 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 no. Don't do that. But you don't have to agree with him. And you can take the reins from him when necessary. 
And he understands that. So don't feel bad. Okay. Does that make you feel better? Yeah, that does make me feel better. I um I don't know. Delthy, I just feel like everybody everybody's kind of I don't want to say giving Biden a pass, but I feel like everybody's kind of I still think Joe Biden's a fascist. And I think you're right. I will never give Biden a pass. He can tell all the corn pop stories he wants to. Because when I hear the corn pop story, I hear that a grown man was going to hit a child with a chain. So I got Biden pegged. I think I got him pegged pretty good. Yeah. But don't but don't worry. Don't worry. Like I, plus, you know, they're kind of old now. A lot of these people, they, they, <laughs> they, ready, they, they, they ready to go sit on the porch and rock, okay? <laughs> so, it was, so it now falls on you to do the right thing. I said, you know, to take what you need and leave the rest. But which, which brings me to another point I wanted to make. I said it in the chat, and I'm going to say it again with regards to the general strike. And that is, if we're going to have a general strike, we are going to have to march that picket line standing between a guy in a MAGA hat and a woman in a pussy hat. But that's how general strike works. It gets as many people out there. I'm not saying you have to in any way not live up to your own principles. But we got to make up our minds if we're serious about a general strike, if we're serious about anything, how much we want it, and if we're willing to pay to get it. Now I'm going to let you go because I got a bourbon in a glass with the ice milk in it. <laughs> and while I love, I love my granddad too. <laughs> I will talk. <laughs> I will talk to you later. Okay. Okay, thanks so much for calling, Delthea. Love you much. Bye-bye. Bye. Love you, too. I'm going to go to uh, Gilbert. Um, yeah, Gilbert, you just have to hit unmute. I'm not sure if I've seen you before, Gilbert. Gilbert, where are you? Gilbert might be having... Maybe he might be having trouble with the um. Hello. The mute. Hello. Oh, there you go. Okay. Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah. Kick me back to the general app that I got from the YouTube link you 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 uh. That's weird. When I try to uh unmute. Yeah. So I just basically had to go back to listen in app. And then unmute. And then unmute. Okay, you have a slight echo. Can you mute reason, for I'm just a second and then unmute? Okay. Okay. I'm gonna okay. Back. okay. Oh, Gilbert, I'm just gonna make you a speaker. Sometimes that helps with that echo. Hello? Okay, can you hear me now? 
Yeah. Okay, okay I think, I think you, are you on speaker? Well, just briefly, are you I just on wanted speaker? to say thank you. Excuse me? Yeah, I, it's hard for me to hear you because the, the echo, I think, are you, is your phone on speaker? It, yeah, it appears to be, maybe. That might be why. Uh, can you try to be. take it off, Seeker? I don't know. Sure. All right, well, let me, you know what? Let me just try to leave and re-enter, maybe? I'm not sure. That's weird. Leave and, re leave and re-enter. Come back in the queue, and I'll just make you a speaker. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. Bet. Bet. Okay. All right, while um, Gilbert's doing that, I'll go ahead and bring in Eric. All righty, Eric. Hey, Sabi, how you doing? Hey, how are you? Good, good. Hey, I, I, I felt like you got a little bit deflated there, and I know that, uh, you know, I guess we wanted to hear more force and, and Cornell's talking and maybe having come at uh i mean he did, he did say some good things against uh biden but i guess it was a little bit letting you know maybe it's just it, it's a lot of these guys that we he's definitely one of my heroes and i definitely love this guy for decades um and i read his book you know when i was much younger but people have life stages we all have different stages that we're in i mean he and he is much older than us and and I think you mentioned some of the other guys that I think kind of have deflated your view of how they were once revolutionary, and maybe now they're a little bit different. And in part is because they're older, maybe, uh, and they're just in a different stage. But as far as Biden goes, yeah, it's we can't give that guy a pass at all. And and so I think not hearing Cornell come at him a little bit harder. Uh, it just doesn't make it seem so good for us uh, who are so vested into wanting to do things that are right for the common person. And, and knowing that Cornell is, he stands for that. We want to hear more from him. We want to hear that energy, that vibrant energy that he's had in the past when he's come at people and said, Hey, and we want to hear that in the way that he's, he's able to, uh, weave the words that are so eloquent and so poignant and so nice to hear. We want to hear that uh, when he's talking about this guy who's, you know, in a sense, worse than Trump. Uh, and he's got the history. We have history that Biden has been worse than Trump and he has continued the same policies for which Trump w was so outed by the mainstream media, the status quo. Uh, Biden has continued everything that Trump had. There's almost nothing that he's, you know, uh, got rid of since Trump came, uh, since that Trump put in, in, in place. And yet, because he speaks, he, because he doesn't talk like Trump, because he doesn't say the, the, the what is it, the, he, doesn't, he says the quiet part out loud, uh, because he doesn't do all the things that Trump didn't know how to do, he gets all the passes. In reality, he's much, much worse because he's passed all these policies, the, the credit bill, the crime bill. These are things that are systematically uh, detrimental uh, to people of color, to, to the common person, the, the person who doesn't have the means to defend themselves in the criminal uh, justice system. 
Biden did all that. Trump didn't do that. Trump was only in power for mere four years. But what he did do is change the atmosphere. He made a lot of racist people become much louder than they were before. But I, but I don't. But I think you've also touched on this too, uh, Savvy. Part of that comes from all the letdown that Obama did to us, to our psyche and the psyche of, of the American population. And the fact that these guys had promised all this, didn't do any of it. And then here comes Trump with populist ideas. And he made people believe that he, he would do some of this. Uh, does that? Yeah, that makes sense. I, I think, um, you know, I... I'm starting to see less and less people push back against Joe Biden the way that they did when Bernie was running. You know what I mean? It just seems to be a difference there. Um, I hope people aren't becoming complacent. I, I really do. You know, I, I, I agree with you, Savvy. Uh, and, and I think, you know, may, maybe we need some new leaders. I mean, I know people in our in our ecosystem of the left want to say that we shouldn't have leaders because then they could be brought down. But if you look at the psychology of human beings, you can't get away from the fact that we do need somebody at the top or not at the top. Maybe that's the wrong word, but someone out there at the forefront of some movement or another to help uh, encapsulate what other people are wanting and thinking so that they can also in a sense, get behind that movement in a much easier way because they can identify with, with those folks, those leaders. Uh, and we have rant, we, we don't have, currently we don't have any, anybody like that out there. Uh, Kashama Sawan is probably the only person out there in politics who's actually doing something on behalf of, of people. Uh, but outside right. of that, there, there's no one, right? And we and I think we do need those people. We do need some folks out there that we can identify with savvy uh, because we're humans, you know, we're not machines. And we look to others to identify and validate what we're thinking. Yeah, I you know what? So, but again, you brought up a good point with Shama Sawant, maybe. She is that one. Maybe she's the person who will lead because like I feel like Bernie gave up. I feel like, you know, the squad kind of gave up. I feel like some of the progressive uh, independent media hosts have given up and, and just kind of going along with Joe Biden. I'm like, no, this is what happens. This is why we've been in this situation for decades, because you have those groups. We've had these groups before. You know, being a leftist is not a new thing. We've had uh, leftists and socialists and Marxists before, and they they were telling people even back then we can't just accept it, the status quo and just say well this is the best we got and I I feel like you know now some people are kind of go along with that I think I think that me and Dr West have different definitions of fascism because I, I still think Joe Biden is a fascist uh, that's just just my take on it based on the policies that he's passed the bills that he's written and the way that he's treating certain communities in this country the way that he's treated. I'll still never forget Anita Hill. I'll yeah. still never forget that the way he, you know, dehumanized her uh, in front of a panel of men. And I'll just never forget the look on Anita Hill's face. And I, I was so young at that point, but I, I still knew what was happening. And I remember the expression on my mom's face and how my mom just looked like crushed. And 
I, I think I think I'll never forget that. And the fact that people are willing to forget or kind of give a pass to all these things that he's done and what he's done to other communities in this country, just because he's done a couple of good things at the last minute, uh, bare minimum good things at the last minute so that Democrats can win in them. I can't get past it. I'm sorry. Like, I don't know. Some people are saying I'm being negative or I'm being a nihilist. And I'm like, nah, man. Uh, when When I look at, you know, Black communities, especially when I talk to my relatives in Baltimore, their community is still hurting. People are still in jail, Joe Biden's crime bills, which is ridiculous. So he should have been the first one to release those prisoners. So it's well, just, yeah. You know, but, you know, I want to say something. I was talking to one of my best friends that I grew up, uh, I think, last week. And he, he's, 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 he's a black dude. He's, he's a brother. Uh, but he's my brother, too, as, as my friend growing up and one of my dearest friends. Very smart guy. Uh, you know, really rough. Uh, just meager beginnings, just like me. Uh, but you know, he was also. And he normally doesn't talk about politics. This this, this friend of mine. Uh, but he hates Biden, uh, and he was telling me, you know, he for whatever reason he felt like he needed to tell me these things when we talked the last time we spoke. But he was telling me how much distaste and, and dislike he has for Biden, that he wants the Democrats to lose. Uh, and here's a guy who does not, he's not in this, you know, he doesn't listen to the shows like like I do. He doesn't get into politics, right? But he was telling me how much of a distaste that he has for this guy and the Democrats and that he feels like they really have done uh, the average person wrong, and specifically Biden and the Democrats, and that they've just completely BSed us uh, to get this guy in there. And he and they started to go into the, you know, the, the list of things that Biden had done, many of the things that we talk about. And that kind of gave me a little bit of hope uh, because it made me think, OK, if this, you know, my friend is thinking about this, who normally doesn't talk about politics at all, doesn't get into this. But yet he recognizes how much you know, Biden has actually done bad to us. Uh, and he's, he doesn't want to vote for either party, my friend. Uh, that I think there's going to be a chance that many other people are like that. And that's why I think where we need leaders like Ashama Sawan to get a platform bigger, a national platform where more people could hear someone like her with her ideas. And you, you mentioned to you mentioned to uh, to Cornell about when they raided these uh, the, uh, the Black Panthers house right recently. And, and I'm sure you saw the after. Uh, event where they had uh this 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 woman who was talking about that uh and there's like a clip out there in twitter and everywhere else i don't know her name i I don't even know but she's a part of this and she was basically saying how they had done this wrong to them and she speaks for like less than a minute I, i don't know who she is but she goes off on that speech and in a matter of like less than a minute you hear her talk and in her speech, you get energized. You could hear clearly what, what they did was wrong. And I said to myself, when I heard her, I'm like, that's what we need. We need to be hearing people like her. And again, I don't know her name, Savvy. Maybe Achille. Okay. Yeah. So Achille, she, she's the director. When I heard her, I was like, man, who is that? You know, like, I want to hear her talk again. Yes. Right? Yes. Like, so where's that, that voice? I was like, holy crap, where has this woman been all our lives? Exactly. So, so 
we need people like that, Savvy, because we need to hear that message so that it can be validated back to us, the people who are listening to you and RBN and other, I'm sure there's millions of other people feeling the same way. And we need to hear those messages so that we can go and validate what we've been thinking all this time. You see what I mean? So we need that. We need those leaders to come up and give us to re-energize what we want to have happen for the country. I'm going to take up more time, but thank you, Savvy. Don't, don't get deflated. You know, again, Cornell's in a different stage of his life, and you and I are in a different stage, and we're seeking to move the needle forward. And I think he would support us uh, in whatever we chose to do uh, that I think maybe he's sort of changed a little bit. But don't get deflated. Savvy, you're doing the right thing. So thank you. Thanks so much, Eric. All right, I'm going to bring in uh, Frank here. Let me click on Frank's name. Okay, there we go. All right, Frank, you're on the mic. Just got to uh, hit the unmute button. I hope it doesn't kick you out either, like it's done other people. Gilbert, I told you I'd make you a speaker. I'm inviting you to speak. So you'll be pulled up there to the top. I think it kicked Frank out. I had a feeling that was going to happen. They got to do something about that with this app, huh? I don't know what is happening. Okay. Oh, damn. Our- He's putting me on speaker for some reason. That's crazy. Hello? Okay. You sound great now. <laughs> oh, do I? All right, cool. We'll roll with it then. Uh, first of all, I want to say thank you because um, there's, like you just said, there's always been leftists. You know, but I think what one thing that definitely has changed, particularly right now, is um, the accessibility for people that perhaps haven't read, um, you know, the principles of communism by Engels or, you know, or the manifesto even, you know, let alone talk about the Brumier or Das Capital, which is like way, you know what I mean? So I think like even just being able to audio book some things, allows people that, let's be honest, are kind of sometimes adverse for some reason to reading books, you know? Like, honestly, most Marxists like to read. So, I mean, that's we're in a minority, even right there, you know? So when we're over here talking about exploitation or rentier capitalism, et cetera, like, it really is, like, alien to most people, you know? And, like, for example, the very first gentleman that spoke... I forgot his name. I guess he's a frequent caller. You guys had a pretty good rapport. Um, spoke about um, the um, World Economic Forum, right? And how that's their new face. It, it, I mean, it's been around. Because I remember reading um, Classizations by uh, Samuel P. Huntington. And actually, there's I have the page dog-eared. I wish I was home so I, you know, so I can actually cite it. But even in there, there's like about two pages where he talks about the WEF and re- and really exposes what it is, uh, you know, from the military aspect of it to the um, diplomatic aspects of it, um, economics and et cetera, you know. So it's I think it's always been there. The problem is that a lot of times we're talking amongst ourselves. And now um, I'm, I'm glad I was able to find you. Um, we see, and, and also, I guess I, I wanted to also bring up something that I feel is lacking, and that's a lot of us leftists calling ourselves Marxists, 
you know, and just trying to untaboo, if that's a, a, a thing, try to untaboo the concept of socialism, revolutionary socialism, Marxism, et cetera, you know, and explain the difference between, um, you know, the ideology, you know, yeah. um, a lot of times, like when people aren't versed, they'll get hit with, oh, well, the Nazis were socialists, you know, and it's just like throw, throws them off. And it's like, well, you know, we're talking about, okay, a national movement opposed to an internationalist movement and you know i mean just touching on something else um that you brought up um but that i feel is missing though in the dialogue and that is when we run we technically are creating platform i don't know if anyone's ever written an article or, or conceptualized this before but when we run just like bernie Bernie exposed a bunch of people to socialism. I mean, democratic socialism, which technically is still capitalism, understanding that my point is that, you know, people started calling themselves democratic socialists, you know, like he, he did. In fact, if anything, Bernie's greatest contribution is actually unstigmifying the word socialism, you know? So um, that was one thing. So running creates a platform in order for us, even within a, a, a BS party. The point is exposing people to, to the ideas is more important a lot of times than criticizing um, and understanding that criticism is important. Um, another thing, too, parties. We need to talk about forming a type of party because, like, that's what made the, the Black Panther Party so effective. Like, we can't keep talking about Black Panther Party back and then not talk about forming some type of party that establishes, like, okay, uh, immigration rights, uh, you know, universal health care, uh, a right to housing, uh, universal access to education from pre-K to PhD, you know, concepts that people aren't familiar with because they're not really exposed to it, you know, because obviously capitalism is very big. It's very complex. But once you morsalize it, you know, people can digest it. And the more they hear it, they're like, oh, they'll talk about it. But it's important for us to try to form that, you know, you're you're one of the people I, I respect, you know, the way you're able to um, explain, you know, um, articles and, and commentate from a leftist. I, I don't know if you consider yourself a Marxist. Um, in fact, that would be a question. Are you a Marxist? Technically, if I had to give myself a label, I would be considered a Marxist. Technically, okay. if we're going by definition, yeah. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, and, and that's another thing, too. We need to push people, even Cornell West. I, I hate that I missed it. I'm going to catch it on when I get back, you know, on, on YouTube after this. But, um, yeah, even people like, like Cornell, we need to push them on calling themselves whatever they want to call themselves so they can critique if they are that, or if they're just using the label, you know, because when, when I read um, Race Matters and I read, um, what, uh, what was the, his last one? And point is he intellectualizes too much, you know, and he brings in the spirituality, you know, and I feel like that clouds, you know, because now we're, you know, it clouds the, the, the water a lot, you know, and it's very inspiring. But at the end of the day, you know, if we're still trying to talk truth, and we're, you know, 
talking about December 25th, Jesus Christ type stuff, I mean, it, it kind of clouds the water, you know, like, and I mean, maybe that's a bias on, on my end, you know, but that's definitely a good wanted to, uh-huh. That's a good point, Gilbert. Um, My mom texted me right after the interview. Apparently my mom watched it live too. And my mom, for her, like, you know, my mom's very religious. So for her, she totally gets all that. She totally gets it. So for her, it like really resonates. But that that is a good point. You know, maybe sometimes people who people who are religious may not may not realize like sometimes when you are speaking that way, that people who are not religious, it it might be hard for them to follow. They might just be like, I don't I don't get it, you know. But I, I get it because I was raised in church. Like I said, my mom's very religious. So I understand it, but I do also understand that there are a lot of you that watch me that are not religious at all. So I totally get that. Yeah. I just feel like it cheapens it in, in a weird way, you know, because I mean, if we're talking about history, all right, if we're Marxists and we, we believe, you know, in dialectical materialism, historical materialism, like literally historical and historically those Christian dates were put there for control of whether, you know, of ideology, politically, et cetera, at the time, including what books were put into the Bible, what is accepted in the Bible, and what books were taken out. So I'm saying, though, if we're going to talk about truth, we need to also expose everything. Because I, I feel like if not, it's almost like we're only talking about some things, you know? And, and I don't know if that might turn people off that who might be religious, you know? But at the end of the day, like— we live in the real world and it's like, if you don't get out, you know, and, and, and try to mobilize even through, you know, mutual aid, which, you know, I respect, but I think um, it's more important to, to bring it into the political aspect, to be able to actually move things, you know, cause I've done mutual aid, you know, I've, I've gone with handing out hygiene kits and uh, bringing uh, portable chargers for people to charge their phones, you know, and, you know, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, it's through politics that we're able to make these changes. It needs to be put into law. And the only way that's done is politically, you know, and obviously mutual aid is more of an anarchistic concept. So obviously it's going to be, point. it's going to be more anti-political. So there's a conflict right there. And obviously that's pushed in my perspective. I mean, I respect DSA. They've done a lot, but we, we see that movement, you know, sometimes they get a little too uncomfortable when you start talking Marxism, Leninism, and and actually, you know, talk, talk about change and not reform, you know, because they talk That's revolution, right. but end at reform. And it's like, hold up, you know, there, we can do both. We need the, the end. The map has the star <laughs> at, at revolution, though. You know, and we can't settle on reform. And sometimes that, that's, you know, and it, it's sometimes unpolite. We have to be unpolite. You know, like I, I know one time uh, during the whole Brianna and and Meathead Jenk uh, thing, you know, about pro protesting at people's houses. Hell yeah, protest at people's houses. What the what the hell? You know That's what I right. mean? That's right. Like, because, I mean, if you don't make it uncomfortable, then once again, you're playing into this polite BS, which at the end of the day, understanding Marxism, we know that this is a not a democracy. It's a republic. Therefore, it's a bourgeois democracy. You know, so either way, you wanted to thank you. Yes, you are. You're dropping all kind of knowledge bombs tonight. No, that's 
this is inc- that's so true that's incredibly important like what you just said is like i'm i've heard people saying this a lot recently too that we need to be nicer to the, uh, politicians we need to be more civil no nah, bump that dude like yeah. you know do you guys know even dr martin luther king himself later on he he said looking back on it he didn't think that maybe being nonviolent was always the correct answer i mean let's be honest he he himself described his sentiments as socialistic yep and also a lot of people don't know this also applied for a gun permit Mm-hmm. Later on, you know, because there's only so much that, you know, once again, you know, back then, you know, it was like sit-ins and, and, and singing and stuff like that, you know, but it's like, it, it gets to a point where like, when the state, which is there because of the conflict of capitalism's existence in the first place, you know, it's the mediator, it, it, it kind of almost pushes the 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 narratives towards mediation instead of eruption revolt and revolution you know that's right that's right it just it yeah i mean he he probably looked back on it and it was like you know we went through all these protests and marches and boycotts and we were constantly getting kicked and punched in the head and had dogs sicked on us and thrown in jail and we never fought back we never fought back and i and i get i get his approach is like you know they already think we're animals anyway so we shouldn't go in being violent. And then you had Malcolm X, who was just like, nah, if they hit you, fuck them up. Exactly. <laughs> and, well, the thing is that, um, and that's exactly why there is a Martin Luther King. Well, I'll do respect. That, first off, I respect Martin Luther King, and he's one of my heroes. I mean, he was one of the greatest orators of all time, you know? But mm-hmm. um, that's probably one of the reasons why in capitalism, they deify almost MLK and only certain I have a dream, not the why I don't support Vietnam speeches, you know, him right. calling out, you know, the, you know, my, my government, the greatest purveyor, but, you know, like the, really going, digging in on Uncle Sam's ass, you know what I mean? They, they don't show you that they, they, they want. OK, OK, we're holding hands, you know, racism's over. Um, you know, if you're in your condition is because, uh, you're not working hard enough, you know, you're not working, <laughs> pulling yourself up from your bootstraps, you know, the whole Horatio Alger BS, you know, w- without understanding the particularities of individuals, you know, and, and even the way some of those conditions are, are taken upon by society, for example, addiction, instead of treatment they they, they do more of the more capitalism, let's throw, let's throw them somewhere behind bars so someone's getting paid on it and and basically privatizing public funds that's all they do they take taxpayer money the public funds and they continually privatize it when the the most brimming example is the pentagon system how the military industrial complex is continually taken Take, taking these billion dollar contracts, you know, when, you know, they don't got water for, for Mississippi, they, they don't got water for Flint, but got 50 fucking billion to send these motherfuckers in Ukraine. You know, like pe- people are, aren't stupid, you know, like the, the thing is sometimes it, it really isn't put into perspective and they, they really don't. I mean, we're on calling, you know, what, how many people d- d- at the end of the day, does that, 
you know, reach. Like, you know what I mean? And it's like, I came here because, I, I mean, you said you were going to be on, and I found you one time on, on YouTube, you know? And I was like, oh, shit. You know, I was talking some real shit. Like, you know, oh, damn. You know, so, I mean, obviously, I hit the bell. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thanks so much, Gilbert. I'm I'm gonna go to the next caller, but you definitely dropped some truth bombs tonight. For sure. Thank you. And keep it up. All right. Let's go ahead and bring in Scotty on the mic. Just have to unmute Scotty. Do 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 do. Hello. Hey, Scotty. Hey. Uh, so I saw the interview tonight, and I saw the chat's reaction to uh, him saying um, he voted for Biden. Um, I've uh, known about Quan West long enough to know that this wasn't a surprising answer. Um, Cornwall West, for me, uh, I respected the fact that during the Obama administration, he was his most uh, fiercest mainstream critic. I'll say mainstream because, you know, Black Agenda Report, <laughs> you want to get uh, some more, like, better criticism. Like, like that's who I really, like, grew to love. But, um, but yeah, for uh, uh, West, it was more different because, like, you got to remember, he's still part of the PNC. Like, he's been part of that class for, like, the better part of, like, 30 to 40 years. Even though he, he has a deep love for the people, he's still part of that class. And also, um, like, even though, like, he had lost relationships over his criticism of Obama. Uh, like, he famously got into it with Michael Eric Dyson over that. Um, he called out, like, Dyson and... Um, um, Sharpton and uh, Melissa Harris. Uh, her she was Lacewell, but Perry at the time, uh, like Melissa Harris Perry called him and uh, Tavis Smiley the Soul Patrol, basically saying like they were trying to uh, say that Barack Obama wasn't black enough. But even with all that, he still voted for Barack Obama twice and urge people to do so so like and I think that's part there's this thing like where people like West and even um, Adolf Reed like Adolf Reed wrote the first uh, article about Obama like the very first article that anyone written about Obama in 1996 like I don't know if you uh, have you read it I haven't, but I, I will say when I interviewed Adolph Reed, he broke my heart when he didn't agree with defund the police. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> well, he, uh, I think he said that it was, uh, well, didn't he say like it was a, a terrible, uh, phrase? Like if you, the whole thing is if you have to explain what, uh, what the, uh, po what the policy is, then you're losing. Sort of the same thing that uh, Garland Nixon did. I mean, yeah, I but but Garland Nixon. I think the difference is Garland Nixon agreed with the concept. He agreed with money back into the community. That was the difference. 
But Adolf Reed didn't agree with that. And he was just like, I said, well, look where policing came from. Policing, especially in the South, policing came from slave patrols. And he said, no, that's not true. And I'm like, yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, he also, do, like, yeah, yeah, Adolf Reed also, like, in 2016, he wrote an uh, article entitled, Go Ahead and Vote for the Neo-Lib uh, Warmonger. Uh, he wrote that. Uh, he went on Benjamin Dixon's uh, show and was saying, like, you know, I'm not saying you should accept, uh, expect anything from uh, Hillary Clinton. I'm just saying, like, uh, Trump poses a huge threat. And that's they're operating under. Like, these people, like, like all, like, our, like, leftist faves, like, they still believe in the concept of voting for the lesser of two evils. Like, they still are from that uh, boomer generation and some Gen X generation that feel that the Republican Party poses this unique threat that the Democrats don't. Like, yeah, you'll, like, the Democrats will sign NAFTA. They'll sign, like, (laughs) they'll sign all these, like, trade deals and uh, do war, but... Well, if we can at least get less war out of them, you know, like they like like we'll at least get gay marriage under a democratic president or we'll at least have Roe versus Roe v. Wade for 50 years even though we won't codify it. Like they'll like these people will take like they'll be critical of the uh Democratic Party, but they won't like when it comes down to it, and also I think it's social pressure. I think it's uh, uh, like when you're in like the PMC class, you have to deal with uh, a lot of the uh, Democratic Party functionaries, and they don't want to be blamed for urging their audience to <laughs> to uh, not vote for the Democratic Party. Like it, like the Democratic Party basically told people, like, made people think that an independent, like, like a a third party uh, uh, candidate was responsible for them losing uh, the 2000 election. Like, they literally made you think that it was a bad thing to vote for the third party candidate. Not even engaging in their differences. Like, like, just think about that, right? And, like, that's what, like, uh, West is operating under. I mean, yeah, he, uh, he, in 2016, he, uh, he urged people to vote for Stein after, like, Bernie was cheated, but, like, <laughs> like, that's because, like, Hillary Clinton was just so disliked and people were still rightly pissed off about what happened uh, in the 2016 primary, that I think that he would, could even look at people and, like, confidently say, like, like I understand that Trump is a, a huge threat. Like, there, there were some people in 2016 uh, that voted for Stein that when, you know, Trump got in, they... <laughs> Like, they felt, I guess they kind of felt guilty. Like, 
Mark Lamont Hill. Mark Lamont Hill is a was a longtime Green Party voter. Yes, he was. Yeah. Never voted for a Democrat vote. Uh, uh, supported Jill Stein in 2016. Uh, 2020, he's urging people to vote for uh, Joe Biden. Well, why? I think he. Uh, I do think he thinks that Trump is a, a unique threat, but I also think like he's part of that class. Like he doesn't like. Uh, I think deep down he doesn't uh like getting shit from his friends in that class. Uh, uh, that will probably uh, blame him for uh, encouraging his, like, support base to not vote for the Democrat. Like, well, you're not voting for the uh, Democrat. You're voting to keep Trump out. Like, that's another tactic, right? And, like, we... This is why it's important to really stress, like, we have to get rid of this mindset that both parties like are not like have like those those differences are big enough to where you can vote for either one we have to now do you guys yeah like now do you guys see why i bring up class a lot because you know i've had some people read to me and say oh you're not black enough you don't talk about black issues and i'm like well first of all i do and two, the reason why I bring up class so much is because what I've noticed, even when it comes to black people, look at the class differences. Oftentimes, people go with their class. That's uh-huh. the problem. Yeah. And he, he actually, I'll also say, and Wes did allude to this, uh, when he like, why is it that black people uh, still admire Barack Obama and he said it's basically because like he represents success like he represents success in the system right Mm. that's why you know we still have this love affair with uh black like the the whole thing of black excellence right like people still Rock with Jay Z. They still they love like especially black women Beyonce like Oprah Winfrey Michael Jordan like we like black we love black places and black faces in high places because it represents aspiration and also I'll say that that was intentional if um I think it was I don't know if it was the uh, the Moynihan report or the Kerner Commission. That basically stated that it would, you know, this was during like the late 60s where they stated that it would be wise that uh, you started seeing black professionals get propped up more, like uh, black newscasters, politicians, like uh, musicians, like like they start to see more uh, black people in these high, uh, in these like, High, like uh, high places that you know you break the revolutionary spirit of the black community right like you keep them believing that success is attainable and that way you know like people don't rise up by the way I was gonna uh, I was trying to mention this at the end of a uh, revolutionary discourse um, 
I don't know if you know this, but, like, there's even, like, parts of the hip-hop that are, like, becoming russophobic. Like, um, uh, Talib Kweli, um, he has a podcast called, called People's Party. Uh, he had an interview with the comedian Earthquake, and, like, there's a segment of the interview where he, you know, he's talking about, like, Earthquake's political views, and he 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 starts talking about the MAGA right. He says, like, yeah, these people believe in that uh, replacement theory stuff, right? And at the 41 uh, minute and 40 second mark, he, he says, and yeah, like, uh, I might get in trouble for this, but even Julian Assange, you know, some people are calling him a, a, a whistleblower, but he believed in that uh, stuff. Uh, like, he believed in uh, the replacement theory. He was poking holes in his condom, and that's why he went to the uh, Ecuador embassy. Like, Talib Kweli. What? Uh, where's, yes, I swear to you. I posted it in the chat. He said this to Earthquake in the, uh, in the middle of the interview. I looked this up on Twitter. Like, you type in Talib Kweli, Julian Assange. And apparently, like, Talib Kweli was saying that Julian Assange was a Russian asset and shit. What? I'm like, what? No, check this. Like, and then I realized, like, I heard that, um, his brother actually worked on uh, Kamala Harris's campaign. I think she's on. He's on her uh, her staff. Of course. Like, yeah, and um, of course. The yeah, conscious hip hop, the conscious uh, rappers, aren't so conscious when it comes to voting. I have noticed that. No, they're not. I've noticed and, that. Uh, and Pusha T, like he said something. Uh, about like Ukraine, like he was spreading like Ukraine war propaganda, and the Ukraine Ministry of Defense used his lyrics as a as a way of uh, propping that up. Like I said that to you as a story, but yeah, like wow, like like even our hip hop, like but yeah, um, you still I told you. Happy? It's why we can't, you got to be careful. You add Jay-Z to that list. You can add um, a lot of them now. They're comfortable now. They don't talk like revolutionary language anymore. Yeah. Remember when NWA was like, like really like hardcore? Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of them became, you know, domesticated. Like, of course, Ice Cube, like got in movies. Dre is like, Super producer, um, you don't really hear about uh, uh, MC Ran or uh, DJ Yellow. Well, he, DJ Yellow is involved in the adult film industry. Um, you know, Easy E. I think Easy E would still like be involved in music, but like he, like so. I don't. I wouldn't have expected him to actually still had that fire. So. But yeah, but um, man, I hate when I uh, I had something else to say. Oh yeah, uh, Killer Mike. Um, kill like I lost respect for Killer Mike when he during the George Floyd protest in Atlanta, 
uh, Keisha Lance Bottles basically asked him and T.I. to do a calm down the native speech. And then T. Yeah, T.I. said, yeah, like, we understand America uh, deserves this, but Atlanta doesn't. Like, Atlanta is in America. What the fuck are you talking about? Like, Atlanta, the police were beating the hell out of uh, a college couple in Atlanta, like, during the protest. Like, they're not that week during the Wendy's. Like, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and, like, <laughs> she's, like, and he, T.I. is calling Atlanta Wakanda? Like, what the, like, what is your problem? Like, you guys are using your celebrity to basically tamp down a rebellion. They got and, money, Scotty. That's what happened. They got money and they changed. Everything everything changed after they got money. I mean, what happened to you? When's the last time you heard, um, who was it, Ice-T? I think that was Ice-T. Didn't Ice-T, for the young people in the chat, you know this, Ice-T had a song called Cop Killer. I kid you not. Ice-T did not care what anybody thought about him back in the day. He really did not care. He was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, but that Law and Order SVU check is probably nice. <laughs> like, he on like a few network uh, syndication. That's a check that's going to be coming to probably his grandchildren, too. Like, been on this show. The longest running uh, African American actor on television. Yeah, like that's a check that he's gonna have for a while now. And, like, mm-hmm. He probably hasn't uttered a, a word about police brutality. Like I could be wrong recently, but like when you when you do cop propaganda, and I mean it's funny because I actually find a law in order SVU entertaining. Uh, but like, I mean, it's it's cop propaganda. Like, same thing with Bad Boys. So. Yep. Uh, but all Let's right. get all these rappers to play cops. Thank you so much, Scotty. All right, peace. All right, bringing in the bad cookies in the house. Go ahead and unmute bad cookies. Good evening, Savvy. How are you? Can you hear me? I'm all right, bad cookies. I'm all right. <laughs> Oh, okay. Good. You can hear me. Well, um, this Cornell West interview, I really just want to vent to you how unbelievably disappointed I am about this. It was a, a terrible, terrible interview on, on, in, in my opinion, I feel, uh, I lost a lot of respect for Mr. Mr. Dr. West this evening. I mean, I still love him. I, I, he's a good man. I think he cares about people, genuinely cares about people, but the differences now between his and my politics is just the gap is too big and I cannot respect his political opinion as a human being, as a, as a man of God, he's a good man. I will always respect him for that. But as far as politics goes after this point, anytime I'm, I'm going to hear from this man, I I'm, I'm not going to trust him. I'm not going to have any faith in the words he says. And that's highly disappointing. And uh, one of the main things that he said that, uh, that didn't upset me, but I found to be truthful, but didn't answer the question was when you asked him the question, why do you think people still love Obama? He went to, into his spiel about how they admired him. Uh, no, people didn't admire him. I'm sorry, excuse me. 
the people did not love him, but they admired him. They they admired him for the uh, success that he had. Uh, the the key point that he said that really stuck to me was black people fail to uphold or struggle. That to me was the explanation as to why black people still support Obama is because they failed uphold that poor struggle. Do you agree with that assessment that he made? About upholding a, a poor struggle? Yes, ma'am. As that is the excuse or not excuse. That's not an excuse reasoning as to why he thinks black people still support Obama. I mean, here's the things I've been told by people when they say, you know, why they still support Obama. And anytime I uh, criticize Obama, um, <laughs> I'm heavily attacked. Uh, but um, most people I've spoken to said that he was the first black president. It's it's not even it doesn't really go deeper than that. That's literally what people have said to me. Yes, ma'am. I have had the same president. thing. Uh, yeah, I've heard the I'm same thing. Like, okay, so you just like anybody who's the first to something, regardless of the job that they did when they were mm -hmm. in office. Like <laughs> we're not holding people accountable anymore. They can do whatever they want. They can go to Flint and pretend to drink the dirty water and tell the people the water is good to go. Yes, ma'am. Yes. You don't have a problem with that. So it's just. <laughs> But then when I say those things, they're like, oh, you're hating on a black person and you're a black. And I'm like, nah, I'm hating on Barack Obama, who lied to us, who told us that he was going to bring about change. And yes, we can. And all of that jargon when he was running in 08 and who sat up there and who became a warmonger, just like the president before him, who was a Republican. I'm, I'm hating on Barack Obama who did nothing for black communities in this country. In fact, I posted that question on Twitter and nobody could answer the question. I said, <laughs> what did Barack Obama do for black people in this country? The only response I got, which, which really didn't apply just solely to black people, the only response I got was he created Obamacare. I was like, right, but what did he do specifically for black communities? Didn't do anything for Flint, didn't do anything for people in Ferguson. In fact, what did he do when the, the, the protests were happening in Ferguson? He brought in the National Guard. So it's just, it, it didn't do anything. He had so much uh, power at that point. There are so many things that he could have done that he chose not to do. And so for me, I just kind of felt like, yeah, it was an absolute disappointment. It was a disgrace. How dare you? And he won twice in a row. And he won twice in a row because he went along with the establishment, because he didn't solely try to do something for black people. If he would have solely tried to do something for black people, he wouldn't have won a second term. And that's what I want people to understand. And I feel like a lot of people don't get it. They just want to point to identity politics and say he was the first black president. And that's why I love him. That's the only reason why you like him. Then you have a problem. Thank you so much, Savvy. Preach the fuck on. Because that's the same thing I've heard from, from Black folk when I asked them the same thing. Why do you support Obama so much? He He's done nothing for you. And the thing that, that he, uh, not he, but multiple people have said is the same thing. Oh, because he's Black. I'm like, well, what, what is it about that? Why do you support someone just because they're Black? Uh, the people that have explained it to me is that, well, Black people have a brotherhood and you got to support each other like that. I'm like, yeah, I understand that. that that's cool and all. But what if that person that you consider a brother is sitting there stabbing you in the back? Is it still your brother? No. Well, then why support someone like that? It's it's insane. It's asinine to me, but 
you know, that's beside the point. Um, the next thing I wanted to talk to you about was uh, that he wouldn't answer the question of, do you regret your vote for Biden? That was extremely aggravating. Uh, what was your take on that? <laughs> I thought to myself, I was like, okay, let's see if he say yes or no. And at the end, he basically said like, well, if I wouldn't have voted for him, I'd still be doing the same thing. So I, I don't know. I don't know, man. Like, I was just like, no. <laughs> Debbie, like, do you? I thank you deeply for this interview. I, I really do from the bottom of my heart, my broken ass heart. right Because <laughs> this, like, it's losing one of one of the people you respect. And it's never cool to lose someone you respect. Well, I haven't seen, and I, I have to uh, put time aside to watch this because I know a couple of people messaged me a couple days ago and they said, please watch the interview with Bree and Cornell West before you interview them. And I just didn't have time. Friday's like a full day for me. So I'm going to have to go back and watch that interview because people were basically telling me that he was dodging her question. And I was like, what question? I don't understand. So I have to go back and watch that. And and see what happened there, because I don't know what happens for some reason when people come on my show. I'm always at the end. A lot of times at the end of the interview, I'm like, what happened to this person? When Jesse Ventura came on, I didn't know he, oh my he was God. forward party. Like I saw him on Vanguard. There was nothing about forward party. He came on my show and he was like, yeah, we need centrist. And I'm working with the forward party. That's why I was sitting there. I was like, what the fuck? What is happening? No, no doubt, Sabi. That is the same same reaction I had during that interview. I, I could that was another person that I lost respect for. Like, man, are you seriously starting your interview with a Tesla commercial? That's literally how he started his his interview. Was, uh, we'll, we'll go beside beyond that. Um, I wanted to comment on one of the things that your uh, previous um, guest said about, you know, we have to give him a pass. Well, he didn't say we have to give him a pass, but. Um, Ms. Delthea Simmons touched on a little. Uh, I don't think the age is an issue with the situation between Cornell West and um, uh, I'm forgetting the other fellow that's also old. Uh, Chomsky. So they, their politics, yes, they are older individuals, but there are other people that are their age that still uphold the same their, their same standards. I, I don't think it's the age issue. I think they got comfortable in their circles and their opinions of society changed. Do you believe my assumption is correct or do you think I'm misguided on that? I agree. Um, something happened. Something happened after Biden won, right? Something because it's not, it's, it's not just them. I mean, some of the left commentators changed their, their opinion. And I mean, even before um, some of the things that Biden has implemented recently, I'm talking about like immediately after Joe Biden won, some of the leftist commentators, I'm going to name no names, but they was already <laughs> singing Biden praises and he hadn't done anything yet. So I was just like, what has happened here? Do you guys have Trump derangement syndrome? Are you that afraid of Donald Trump that you're willing to make excuses and prop up for Joe Biden? Mm. Uh, well, I don't get it. It's like it's, they do the same thing with. And Nick calls it, Nick does this, he calls it Jimmy Dore derangement syndrome, same thing. He said they do the same thing with Jimmy Dore. Like some people have Jimmy Dore derangement syndrome. Jimmy Dore can be 100% on the mark on a particular issue, but because yes. it's coming from Jimmy Dore, people will criticize it. And I'm like, the fuck is wrong with you guys? 
Yes, you should force a vote for Medicare for all during a pandemic. What are you doing? I honestly pity and feel sorry for Jimmy Dore a lot of the time because I think he gets a, a bad shake. I think he, he shook up the wrong beehives and now he is stigmatized and he is disrespected by a lot of people, even though most of his positions, if not all of them, are pretty on point. I still respect Jimmy Dore. I don't watch his show anymore because I, I honestly, uh, when I stopped watching the show, I, I didn't agree with a lot of the people in the, in the comment section there. And it, it felt more like I was being attacked rather than having a conversation. And that's another thing that I can do at RBN that I can't do in most chat groups is have a conversation. As soon as you mention something that somebody doesn't agree with, you get jumped on and you get insulted and you get name called. Like, man, this, I'm just trying to share ideas with you, man. If you have a disagreement, hook me up and let me know that you have a different point of view. I'm not a stupid person. If you tell me this, you know, I, I might change my mind. If you can make a logical, reasonable explanation, I'm not an unreasonable person. Make your case. Am I wrong about that? No, I, I think uh, it's tough in that chat because there's like 14,000 people watching. So it's you're going to get some trolls in there. That's just that's bound to happen. Uh, we don't have 14,000 people watching. But if we did, I'm pretty sure we'd have like some trolls in there, too. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, well, um, one last thing, Savvy. Um, I'm sorry to take up so much of your time. I see you have a bunch of callers. I'm so sorry. Um, the, the last thing I wanted to ask is uh, in your in your previous uh, post where you asked uh, who the special guest was going to be, I don't know if you read my uh, question or not, but there is a self-proclaimed Marxist economist named Fidel Kaboob. And uh, yeah, he's... Him on. You've had him on? Oh, I got to look up that interview. It was a while ago. It was a long while ago. I have to bring him back on. He's he's awesome. Yeah. Yes, he is. Well, I just, I've I've recently started hearing about him and I'm listening to the things that he says. And uh, I thought he would have been an interesting guest. I didn't know you viewed him. But uh, yeah, uh, thanks for your time, Savvy. Uh, again, no hate towards Jimmy Dore. Like I said previously, I love Jimmy Dore. He's a, he's a, He's a funny guy, and he's got a lot of good point of views. However, you, I didn't like the crowd, if that makes sense. Gotcha. Gotcha. Right. I, I totally get it. Well, thank you for calling in, Bad Cookies. No problem. You have a good night, Sammy. You too. Okay, we're bringing in Sean. Sean is on the mic. You just have to unmute, Mr. Sean. You guys know Sean can, uh, you can spell Sean like three different ways. Hello. It's been a while since I spoke to you, Savvy, but it's always nice to talk to you. Thanks so much. It's great to hear from you again. So I just wanted to say, you know, sometimes people you look up to can be disappointing, but there's no reason to, uh, to be upset because you guys at RBN are on the right path. Um, I really enjoyed listening to Gilbert, but I think sometimes um, people who have like read a lot, um, they almost like 
want to prescribe things to people like working class people and want to talk down to them and stuff. And I think that, uh, what happened in other countries at other points in times, isn't necessarily what happened has to happen or what can or will happen in, in this particular situation. And, uh, back when the left had more power, we had institutions outside of government that, that were a lot more powerful, like labor unions and stuff. Uh, we had a bunch of other political parties. We had our own newspapers. Mr. Dorn at RBN, he said that mutual aid is more of an anarchistic idea, which is true. But you can turn mutual aid into uh, an institution that's owned by the people. And it can be uh, an alternative to do something with your money that you would spend $27 to Bernie Sanders, you know, you give it to these growing mutual aid organizations. Um, Nick works with the KC Tennis Union, and that's the kind of shit. That's that's how we get political power. Going and and supporting a political campaign, regardless of whether it's third party or or a progressive Democrat, like it, it, it's ultimately like nothing because the the. The elections are rigged, to be honest. Like, all the candidates are selected. Even Howie was selected. People are saying the Green Party uh, rigged their primary for a Russiagator. You know, so we just need to start coming together creatively and, and figuring out how to, how to network people. And um, I really think the RBN is, is leading the way with that. But, you know... We should, Rum said something, um, him and CJ were talking about it, about how, like, all the homeless people in Skid Row, there's enough, all the homeless people in LA, like, there's enough people to, to take over the city. Maybe we should be Yes. The, Sorry, yes, the homeless, situ- the homeless situation in Los Angeles has, look, the homeless situation in Los Angeles has become ridiculous over the past, I would say, five years. Uh, there were always homeless people in L.A., but now, like, CJ was telling us that, like, you can't drive past one, like, overpass and not see tent communities in Los Angeles. So just remember that, guys. When you're watching, like, these reality shows that are based in L.A. and you don't see any homeless people, nine times out of ten, the film crew probably edited them out. Not so that you realistic. don't see it. Not realistic at all. So when you're watching like the Kardashians or if you ever watch like The Hill and stuff like that, they edit the homeless people out. That's not what it really looks like. But yeah, um, I don't know. Like there's a lot of like doom and gloom going on right now. And, and rightfully so. I mean, we're, we're heading in a crazy, screwed up uh, direction in this country. But I mean, listen, like, People are going to start, people, people are going to start, you know, people are, are going to be going against these political parties. Like it's going to become apparent that, uh, you know, whether or not Joe Biden's again, is going to become apparent that these people aren't doing anything for us. Like there's, there's, I mean, I was born in 1990, like, so 
people my age are gonna remember what <laughs> what this country was like. And they're gonna remember uh, being able to just speak their mind freely in public. You know, the reality asserts itself. We try to have these institutions ready as an alternative for people to to go outside of politics so they don't go run to to MAGA. Say, look, look at what we've been doing. We've been giving backpacks to people. We've been feeding people. We've been taking care of the community. We've been fixing grandma's front door. You know what I mean? And that's, that is powerful. You know, hey, we've gotten together and stopped them from jacking up the rents in our community. Um, you know, and eventually you can parlay that in, into political power. But, like, I don't know, you guys You guys are pretty on the money about, uh, about electoral politics. Like, I mean, I'm not saying that I wouldn't vote. Like, I mean, I would vote for, like, Jill Stein or, you know, I'm not, like, opposed to voting, but uh, not at all. But, you know, I think we need to, to build our own political party that isn't organized from the top down. We need, I mean, I brought this point up. Before. I agree. I brought this point up before on on your show and, and Nick's and CJ's calling before. Like we we have the technology to be very democratic about everything. I mean, we we can we can vote on every position in the in the president. There's really, who runs the president? It's the cabinet members. You know what I mean? Right. That's, that's who does the job of the president. Why aren't we electing every cabinet member? Why aren't we dictating, you know, the, the agenda? I mean, you know, I just think, um, I think we just really need to start looking at doing things like drastically differently. And I don't think that Cornell West and people who are, who have been invested in that, in, uh, in politics and like, they're just not going to ever be able to understand that. You know what I mean? Like, they're, they're so wrapped up in, in their Washington brain. Even Brianna Joy, right? She's pushing Marianne Williamson. But you, know, you realize that Marianne Williamson was arguing for a two-tiered system where we go to the clinic and she gets the best health care available because she's rich, right? You know that, right? Like, she wanted... Marianne to- Williamson... Yeah, what people don't She's a millionaire. Look. Don't trust her. Marianne Williamson is one of those people, like there are some people that you like them as a person, right? So there may be things they like about them as a person. But just because you like them as a person doesn't mean that they would make a good president or a good uh a congressperson. That doesn't mean that they would make a good politician. And with Marianne Williamson, and I've brought this up before, I told you guys she's terrible on foreign policy. Now, I know some people don't care about foreign policy, but you should. Foreign policy is domestic policy. So we should be paying attention to that. And so, no, this this whole thing, I'm saying it's laughable to me. None of these people were trying to push Marianne Williamson when she was running in 2020. They didn't give two craps about Marianne Williamson. And they were laughing at her when she ran in 2020. Now, all of a sudden, she's the golden one, the golden ticket that they need to push to get through. And I call BS on that. 
she still has running she still has the same beliefs and issues that she had then she's come around to medicare for all but other than that she has the same beliefs and issues that she had then so why is it you're so up now why are they trying to push people who are millionaires to run for president we don't need another millionaire president i'm sorry but i'm gonna call it out with the class issue we need somebody to go in there that is from the working class or someone who is poor, not someone who is a millionaire, because when it comes to legislating, they're going to do what is best in interest for their class first. And even if they tell you they're not, they're lying. We've seen this multiple times before. We've seen it through Congress. We've seen it through the Senate. Like they back their class and they're going to protect the corporate interests. Marianne Williamson is not against capitalism. So what is to stop her from taking corporate money? And and people say that she evolves on certain issues. Well, how do you know? She has no she, she has no record. She can stay wherever she wants. How do you know she's not she doesn't have public positions and private positions? I mean because because she spouts off some new age healing crystal spiritual mumbo jumbo, like I'm buying her that shit. I'm buying her. But, I mean, like you said, you're, you're not on the left if you're willing to vote for imperialism so you might maybe probably not get health care. Like, get out of here. You're a clown. You, you, you don't even know what you believe in. Well, thank, thank you so much for um, calling in, Sean. I, I think you're breaking up a little bit, but... It's just funny to me. I just, this whole Marianne Williamson thing just cracks me up. I'm like, this is hilarious. Like, I can think of better people to run. And not through the Democratic Party, by the way, but third party or independent. Paula Jean Swearingen. I mean, I know some people have had disagreements with Paula Jean, but that's someone who is not a millionaire. <laughs> who knows what it's like to, to be poor, who is from Appalachia, who's not coming from a, a, a wolf of, of privilege. That's like, that's the difference. And I, I want to be very honest with you guys too. Um, sorry, I'm trying to find something mom. Oh, here's my shirt. Okay. Um, there was something I noticed about justice Democrats. Uh, Sean, I'm going to go ahead to the next caller, but I'm going to finish this really quick. Hey, thank you. There was something I noticed about Justice Democrats, and you guys feel free to chime in in the chat if you feel the same way. When it came to the candidates that they chose to focus heavily on, there wasn't that much focus on Paula Jean Swearingen. Now, when you want to look at the criteria for Justice Democrats, she really fit the criteria to a T because that was someone who was coming from working class, poor background, they did not have political experience, which is supposed to be what Justice Democrats was. You get people in the community that don't that don't have that political experience that are a part of that working class. So you, you, you had her and you had like Cori Bush. But then when you look at the others, they don't really fit into that category. AOC was not poor. AOC was not working class. Neither was actually Ayanna Presley. Again, she was in my district. I voted for her. Same thing. Ayanna Presley was a city councilor here. So 
So there's that. Not to say she didn't grow up that way, but when she was going through Justice Democrats, she was not. Uh, so that's that. Then you have Rashida Tlaib and you had Ilhan Omar. So it's like, technically, the people that actually fit that Justice Democrats model were not the people who were heavily promoted. AOC didn't even endorse Cori Bush. I want to remind everybody of that. Okay, let's bring in Cryo. Cryo, you just have to unmute. Just got to hit the unmute button. Otherwise, I'm going to start singing. I don't know if people want to hear that or not. Let's see. Hello. It kicked me out when I hit unmute. (laughs) This app, man. You think they would have fixed this by now? Yeah, I even have the updated version uh, because of the Garen Matei was having a problem too. But um, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, I just wanted to say this is my first, my very first, you're my very first call in, Savvy. (laughs) So I'm going to be nervous. um, But. Uh, I love your show. I've been listening for a long time. I think you are so eloquent and so fact-driven and, um, you know, just very, um, you, you really know how to run, run an interview get down to the bottom of something. And, and I could tell when you're kind of going to somebody and most, for the most part, I agree. You don't want to make enemies of people. You want to just get to the facts of what they're talking about. Sometimes there's a time and a place for everything. And I, I really loved, you know, uh, you know, I think you asked the right questions to Cornell West. Um, the Jesse Ventura interview, I wasn't shocked at all with that presentation because I had, you know, heard some of his opinions on, Pfizer and, uh, you know, Big Pharma and saying that people should um, pretty much do what they're told to do. (laughs) So I gave up on him uh, a while ago. But uh, yeah, him with the Tesla commercial, that was pretty, pretty sad. Um, But back to Cornell West, I I just want to let you know that I think Delphia really hit the nail on the head when she said, you take what you need from them and you leave the rest behind. you know, and that goes for everyone, even um, people you don't agree with on maybe 80% of what they're saying. Maybe that small one, that small 20%, uh, maybe their agreement, their, you know, coming to Jesus moment on uh, Medicare for all, let them know, you know, let them know, uh, let them know that that's what you agree with them on. Let them know that that's what your taste you're leaving behind. Because I think if more people kind of reach out to, um, you know, people that we don't agree with, we're going to draw people into a more universal working class movement. And I think that's our job. Uh, If you're going to call yourself a socialist, that's basically your job. Your job is to go out there and make the case. Whether or not you agree with people who are going to call you your opponent or not, they might come to you at the moment of need. You don't have to let them lead your movement. You don't have to let a boogaloo boy into your movement and say, you know what, I agree with you on this one thing, so I'm going to give you the, the 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 spear and the rod and the crown, and you go and you lead us. That's not how it works. <laughs> you just work with them for that one thing. 
and you take what you need from them and you leave the rest behind. Um, so that's, you know, that's how I see it because I'm going to kind of go in on a little bit on the complacency uh, thing that you had mentioned and uh, with Cornell West. Um, what is it going to take for people to rise up in this country? I don't know. Um, I listen to the Duran. I listen a lot to Alec, the two Alexes, Alex Cristoforo and um, Alexander Mercurius. And they have been listening to a while since the um, special operation started. And I really think that um, they get very disappointed and very disheartened um, when it comes to the amount of human beings that are being thrown into the fray for this uh, this effort that the United States had, you know, and Britain had a lot to do with. Um, it's very disappointing um, when you think of the human toll and you think of the fact that we're using all of all of these NATO-aligned countries are in, aren't their governments, the people they put in power there, they might be evil, but the people that live in those countries aren't, for the most part, part of all of this. They're suffering and they're being told to suffer for us, for our laundry service in the Ukraine and other countries. And what is it going to take for people in the United States to realize this? This is the complacent, this is the latest issue of I support the current thing, the complacency of, and the just ambivalence and the um, ignorance of that people hold about this very important issue of all of Europe being thrust into, you know, the many, many dark summers and winters that are, are, are ahead for them. They're not going to have air conditioning, or they're going to be, um, they're now putting in a uh, rationing over in, in EU countries. So you're saying, you know, if you're going to, not to use electricity during peak times, <laughs> you know, maybe cut down electricity during peak times. That's what the EU, the leadership of the EU is uh, is asking people to do because they can't resist using their people and the Ukrainian people as human shield for their own profit, for our profit, because we're telling them to do this. Um, so if they can't get their act together, if Cornell West can't get their act together on this issue, then what other kind of moral issue, like what is it gonna be? You know, this is a case of using humans as a human shield for a profit of the rich all over the world. <laughs> what other issue is more important than that to put a stop to this? And it should be it should be something that that's heard on the left and, and the right, or we can take those labels away. It's just people. You know, I, I'm kind of sick of you know, people being used as meat shields for our purpose. And I think everyone here agrees with that. <laughs> but if we say, you know, I, I, if we say, let's elect someone that can, that we all can agree on, and they, by some miracle, make it to the presidency, what support are they going to have when the real people who run this country are the Mickey Mat? You know, that's, that's what I take from Raymond Govern you know, the military, industrial, congressional intelligence, media, academia, think tank, you know, 
what is it going to take for that to um, be broken down? Because if you think about it, that's that's also part of the World Economic Forum. That's the WEF over here. And that's where all of the orders come through. What is it going to take if we get one person in there or we have a party of, of our people um, joined at the hip through, uh, you know, mutual aid and, and well-versed and educated on all of the revolutionary aspects that we need to take these things back for us. When it comes to that second level of government that's really running this country and the world, I mean, what is the what is the real what is the real answer there? Is that going to work? How do we take that down? That's a good point. I think the point that I, I try to want to get across to everybody is, you know, I wish I wish this app had like a hand raise uh, feature, but it doesn't. Ooh, I should reach out out to them and tell them to do that. Okay, I'm gonna reach out to tech and ask them if they can add like a hand raise feature like Zoom has so people can like raise their hands in the chat. Um, but a number of you in this chat probably donated to to Bernie Sanders, right? Or to the squad. And <laughs> me too. That's why I was like, look, I don't know if I, at one point I was like, I don't know if I want to go back and look and see how much money I donated to Bernie Sanders, but it was a lot. And I think the point I want to get across to people is that Bernie Sanders got over a hundred million dollars just from us individual people. And in my mind, I'm thinking about what could we have done with that $100 million? Because how, donating that money to Bernie Sanders did not help the American people. All right. that did was further Bernie Sanders campaign and he lost anyway. So imagine if we took that money we could have built clinics, free clinics for people in this country. We could mm -hmm. have housed people who have lost their homes because of the pandemic. We could have done so much for people in this country. We could have built community gardens. We could have like, it, it just, so it really frustrates me when I think about the fact that I gave him all that money. And I could have used it to a greater good. And, you know, like sometimes you have to go through something like this to kind of look back and see like, man, that was a waste of my money. But now that I know we need to move forward and we need to put our money to like a better good. And it, it's not going to be through a political campaign. And I'm sorry, I, I told you guys, I'm not donating to politicians anymore. I think that money can be used, whether it's mutual aid and by mutual aid, there's so many different things. It doesn't just mean food, but we could be building affordable housing units, a hundred million dollars. How many cities in this country lack affordable housing about affordable? I don't mean necessarily what the city says is affordable. I mean, meaning that people who are making poverty wages can afford to live there. Not people who are making just under like $50,000 a year. I mean, people who are making poverty wages, like what about people in this country who are disabled? You know, they can't work. So all these other, 
these these uh, actions that have happened. And I applaud all of the labor actions that have happened. I applaud everyone who has tried to unionize in this country and who has unionized. I applaud it. But what we have to understand is that people who are disabled, for example, that does not benefit them in any way, shape or form because they can't go to work. So how are we helping those groups in this country? And JB has talked about this a lot because JB will tell you he's on disability. He would love to work again, but he can't. So how are we helping them? Disability checks are extremely small. How are we helping elderly people in this country who are only getting their social security check, which isn't much, by the way, and we are experiencing inflation? How are they getting by on a social security check during a time of inflation. If they don't have any family members to help them out, how are they getting by? At one point in Maryland, I don't know if I told you guys this uh, before, the reason why Maryland changed their law about uh, heating, there were elderly people in Maryland that were dying because they their social security check wasn't enough to pay the heating bills and their rent. So the state had to make it so that even if basically people could not pay their heating bill, the heat wouldn't be shut off. But it just, what are we living in here? So when you you see some of these living conditions that people are living in, if you go to Baltimore, you go to some of the neighborhoods in Baltimore, and you see how some people are living, how is that even happening in the United States of America? There's There's no excuse. That's where I kind of think about the complacency I and mean, why people are, are you know, pushed down so hard, especially when you're disabled. My mother has uh, MS and she had to go out um, on this um, early uh, retirement. And that was tough to get, even though she had, you know, uh, a terminal illness. <laughs> Um, you know, but she didn't want to not work. And I talked to her about mutual aid and I talked to her about a lot of things because she, you know, she was around during all these, uh, movements and, and, uh, and Berkeley and all this, you know, she knows a lot, you know, my father passed away early. He had a tumor and we think it had a lot to do with Agent Orange, uh, because around mm. the same time they came up with, um, a case, uh, and, I think Canada won the case. Um, I think it was either Canada. I think won the case where veterans were having the same symptoms with their um, liver and their their gallbladder and just tumors popping up. It was almost the same uh, symptoms and problems, and they won that against uh, Agent Orange. And but my mom never got anything. <laughs> I mean, she could she could have gotten a couple hundred bucks out of it. You know, it's like. Oh, gee, thanks. <laughs> it's not, it's, it, but people get pushed down so hard that they, they don't think that they can do anything. They don't think That's that right. they, they think that this is their life and this is how I just got to live day to day to survive. I got to call the insurance company and I got to start this uh, conversation with them. And it's going to take me two weeks of talking back and forth with them to resolve it. And that's taking that, forget about hobbies. You know? Her hobbies are gone. She wants to do hobbies. She has all these crafts and things she wants to do. She hasn't touched them the entire time she's uh, like for 20 years because her entire life is lived on contacting the insurance company. And 
that's another scam. I can go in on another day if we bring up, uh, you know, healthcare issues. But, you know, she she should be on Medicare, but she didn't. She went with GHI, um, and they tricked her. The post office tricked her into keeping, um, into not going full into into Medicare. And I don't even know how much that would have helped her anyway, because you look at all the restrictions, and it's it's just pathetic. This is pathetic. The complacency is a big thing, um, and people really feel like they just can't do anything to help themselves, and they don't have enough time to realize that all of their rights have been taken away from them since, who knows, since JFK? I mean, it, it's, it's pathetic. And, and in this country specifically, I, I get very upset, you know, especially hearing people like... Um, Cornell West, uh, well, Brianna Joy Gray and Nina Turner and all these people, you take them as far as you can throw them, but they just can't help themselves with the DNC. And I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it, Sammy. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, you know, and this is not to say, um, for people listening, this is not to say that we dislike, you know, those people. Um, it's just, I have a lot of dislike for the squad, but okay. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> I think, I think we agree on that one. Um, it's just that, you know, uh, part of me feels like, um, you know, and I still have a lot of respect for Dr. West. Um, I, I do wish I, I could have convinced him or so that I, that Joe Biden is still a fascist and, you know, I feel bad. I don't think I did my diligence with that, but I, I tried. Um, but I think I was able to convince him more so of that. But I, I don't know. I kind of got the impression, I think, when he said that we need voices like yours and to pass this on. And it was almost kind of like he was saying it's time for a new group to. Yeah. To he was do totally, it. totally passing the torch, Sabrina. Um you know, he's been doing that. If you watch some of his interviews with, with different, um, you know, people like yourself, he does compare people and he does so justly, you know, uh, to revolutionary uh, leaders and, and inspirational people. And that's him passing the torch. He knows he can only go so far at this point, but he has a lot of faith in, in, in the younger um generation and he is that's what he's doing you know so consider the torch passed <laughs> well thank you so much Io. i'm gonna bring in uh brady he's he is here let's bring in brady all right brady you're on the mic just have to hit unmute Oh, they got to do something with this app. Sabrina Salvati, the hero slayer. Well, listen, maybe like, uh, Andrew Yang could help with the call-in app. Can you hear me? Am I clear now? Am I coming yeah, in? Yeah, I can hear you. So, Sabrina, you're the hero slayer. You're out here vibe-checking everybody, separating the sheep from the goats. So... I love you and hate <laughs> you for it. Like, you know, I, I drew you Jesse Ventura. You slayed him. Um, uh, Abby Martin, Abby Martin, that was actually a great interview. I think that went well. I think you, uh, you, you, she passed the vibe check, huh? 
And then uh, oh, I, Dr. Have, I haven't interviewed. I haven't interviewed Abby Martin. Oh, you haven't? You haven't interviewed Matt mm-hmm. Martin? No, are you sure with the – I could have sworn. I'm tripping. Well, you should definitely interview Abby Martin. She's great. Um, I'll try. I, I was going to hope to make up for some of my bad recommendations and all the heartbreak, you know. Um, Dr. Cor- it was great what you're doing, though. You know, as, as heartbreaking as it is to see what happened with Dr. West, like the brilliant perspective that I'm getting from all of this, like I didn't realize that Bernie Sanders was against reparations. I didn't realize that Dr. West voted for Joe Biden. Um, there's a lot of just really interesting information coming out of all, all of this. And the perspective of your last speaker when he went after the Abrahamic cult as a whole and said, hey, what is Dr. West doing posing as a Marxist when he's spouting all this Jesus stuff? You know, I think I'm so proud of everyone on the left right now, everyone in this room for coming out and calling out the Abrahamic um, angle on the whole situation, the Abrahamic hypocrisy, uh, such a brilliant take. Um, and I think we do need kind of like a new, more scientific religion, um, you know, make basically make up a bunch of rules, but don't enforce them. And I've also wanted to ask, like, why are we always choosing such old leadership? Aaron Swartz was 27 years old when he died, 27 years old. He was a 27 club. We need to be picking younger leaders like Aaron Swartz before they get killed by the CIA. And um, I think that every time we talk about Joe Biden going forward, we need to talk about Joe Biden in the context of Hunter Biden's laptop and Ashley Biden's diary. We need to drag this man down through the mud as leftists. The leftists should come out and say, hey, let's impeach Joe Biden for Hunter Biden's laptop. And, and pull this whole can of worms wide open and drag Jeffrey Epstein back into the mix at the same time, because it's the linchpin of the entire power structure that we're fighting on both sides of the false dichotomy. So anytime I hear Joe Biden's name, I, it better be about the laptop from now on, <laughs> is what I'm saying. Let's get Oh, him man. That's a that's him. a good point, Brady. Um, I just want to um, chime in here for just a second. I think that... um. The whole thing about the laptop, you know, what's funny when I when I talked about the Hunter Biden laptop, the when it first was reported immediately, immediately when I uploaded that clip, YouTube studio said limited. <laughs> immediately it said limited because it was like advertisers may not be um, appropriate for this, uh, this content. And I'm like, oh, of course. Um, so. Yeah, no, this is all good points. I think that people also need to, and I still have to, I have to find contact information for her, but I did see Whitney Webb on someone's show recently, and she actually just wrote a book about Jeffrey Epstein, and she's been doing research for this for years. And yes, a two-part book, One Nation Under Blackmail, two-part book series. Yes, she would be a great person to talk to. I think she is underrated as a journalist. Um yes. She's, She's done amazing. some really great work. James Corbett as well. Really cool guy to talk to out of Japan. Um, and what was I going to mention? Um, brain fart. I'll pass the mic. <laughs> oh, no, no worries. Um, you mentioned something about age and you just made me think about something. You know, Fred Hampton was 21 when he died. Mm-hmm. 21 Who's years old. Refresh my memory on him. I'll look, Black I'll look Panthers. Up. I'll look up. I, oh, nice. I got them written down. 
Yeah, 21 when he died. Well, when he was, I shouldn't say when he died, when he was murdered. (laughs) So Fred Hampton was murdered by the FBI. Um, that, that actually wasn't announced publicly until that was actually fairly recent. Uh, when that movie came out, Judas and the Messiah, if you guys haven't seen that movie, you need to see it. But Fred Hampton was so young and he was leading a whole community and he, he was the one that said, okay, I'm going to go over to the young Patriots. And they were the, you know, uh, they were basically white Southerners that had moved to Chicago, but they were poor. And so they were also being oppressed uh, by the economic system. And so he went to speak to them and he said, look, we kind of in the same boat. We're both being oppressed economically by the government. Same thing. And he went over to the the Puerto Rican group called the Young Lords and he got them and told them the same thing. And so that's why they saw someone like Fred Hampton as incredibly dangerous. And they were like, oh, we just got to take him out. Now, he was 21 years old when they killed him, but look at everything that he did before he was 21. Yes. So you have a point, that Brady. Youthful energy. That youthful energy. Ooh, we can get a lot done with that. And right before I passed the mic to Schnarf, I remembered I was just going to ask you, how many alternative platforms are you on? Are you available on Odyssey, BitChute, Rumble, Rockfin, all of those platforms yet? Yeah, I'm on um, Rockfin and Rumble. In Odyssey, I don't know what a bit shoot is. You'll have to tell me what that is. <laughs> Similar platforms. It works with uh, crypto and um, blockchain stuff. But um, I oh, appreciate okay. you so much, Sabrina. You're doing a great job. Even though you're breaking our hearts, honestly, it's such a good work. And you are the best for that. <laughs> we, we love you for that. Stay, stay. Uh, your scrutiny is great. So stay sharp. Oh, thank you so much, Brady. All right, we're bringing in uh schnarf here so you are on the mic just gotta unmute hey how you doing sabi hello how are you good so i'm i'm i've been following cornell west for a long time and i i I think i think he's getting to a certain point where he's become kind of docile and you were very nice to him and i would be nice to him as well but i i see i see a running theme here in in a lot of the more radical black uh, elements in American society. And the problem is, in my opinion, is that it all reverts back to the church, right? So at the point where you have this staple ingredient, and I'm sorry, your mom's going to probably hate me, but I feel like even even if you looked at the the financial crisis of 2008, a lot of the people that were responsible for that were recruiting, well, not recruiting, but advertising their their offerings in black churches. And the church opened the doors, no problem. I think to a certain degree, the element of Christianity is the thing that keeps making everything fall apart. And if you look at the, at, at the tradition, it's kind of hypocritical because there's so many downright like racist things within Christianity, whether it's the curse of Ham, whether it's the idea that Paul returned the slave back to its, or to, to his owner or whatever. It, these things repeat themselves over and over again. And I think until we exercise that out, I don't think that there's going to be much change. And it just doesn't apply to the black American experience have such a fucking strong presence in Latin America. If you go to a country like the Dominican Republic, for example, 
Every year, the evangelical presence grows. You go to a country like Bolivia, Ecuador, Peru, even Brazil, the evangelical presence is growing. So I think I think one of the things that really, really is antithetical to radical change is Christianity, especially the idea of, of white Jesus. And even if you were to modify white Jesus and to say that God is 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 melanated and God is a female, you're still carrying out the same uh, fundamental assumptions and you're just perpetuating the same cycle over and over again. The other thing is, is that, you know, if you true, if you true, if you truly like hold your chin of Marxism, religion is still the opiate of the masses. So I don't know what you, what do you think about that? Well, I think there's a difference between uh, religion and spirituality, right? So I think some people may say that they, you know, practice spirituality. Some people may say that they practice religion. Uh, what I can say is I've seen like pros and cons about uh, religion, not just Christianity, but all different types of religion. And I think that this idea of groupthink, I don't like. I don't like... Uh, Granted, my view may be a little bit more extreme because I've gone to Baptist church. I went to a non-denominational non Christian church, um, which was actually a little bit more modern. Like we had a band and, and all that jazz. Like it was, it was very coming from a Baptist church. And I've gone to a Pentecostal church. And so out of all three, the most strict was Pentecostal church. I was there for a year and I peaced out. So... <clears throat> The idea of groupthink, I think, resonated the most at the Pentecostal church. And I say that because people would just do things because they were told, this is what you need to do. But if you ever ask questions why you need to do it, you were kind of frowned upon. Like, how dare you ask that question? So for those who are not familiar, the Pentecostal church, like the kind of rule was like, girls, we were not allowed to wear pants. So we typically we had to wear the long mom. skirts. Yep, long skirts. We weren't allowed to cut our hair. We weren't allowed to wear no makeup jewelry. or jewelry. But I noticed something, and I, I was young at that point. I noticed something that the guys were able to do what they wanted. Like the guys, you know, they didn't have these these restrictions. So for someone, me at that time, like I was a tomboy. Obviously, if I'm wearing a long skirt all the time, I can't play basketball. It's kind of hard to dribble when you got a skirt going down to your feet. Just keeping it. So I couldn't play sports. And then obviously if you wanted to do something like cheerleading, you couldn't do it. You just couldn't because of the, the dress code requirement. So I started asking questions and I was like, why is it that it seems like most of the restrictions are put on the, the females and not the men? And I was basically told that I was being sinful because I asked that question. And that's when I pieced out. So Again, that's that idea of groupthink, the fact that everybody in the church, they never stop and ask this question. Like, you guys looking around, you guys don't see there's a problem here? Like, and, and this is in the South, and a lot of people at the church are military. So if you're a woman and you're in the military, what, you got to quit your job now because you got to wear pants in the military? It just didn't make any sense. So nobody was asking questions. They were scared. They just followed along with think. And I think that's one of the problems that I've seen uh, with religion. So you should never 
let it get to the point where you are not asking questions, uh, regardless of who the pastor or preacher is. Remember, they're they're human too. So so there's that. And then I had like my best friend when I was growing up. She was Catholic, and she was telling me about how. And this is when I first heard of this. Like if 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 someone in her church got divorced, they had to leave the church. And I was like, what the hell is this? So I'm like, oh, so you just get kicked out because you get divorced? What if you have to get divorced because your spouse is abusive? towards you. They're still going to kick you out of the church. What is this? So I did start asking those questions. And I, what I would say to people is that, do you really have to go to church? No, you don't. If you want to read the Bible, you can read the Bible at home by yourself. You don't really have to go, but some people like to go, want to hear the sermon. They like to hear the music and I get all that, but just always remember, don't be afraid to use your brain and start asking questions about things. And if they don't want to answer those questions, then again, I feel like you're entering into groupthink. So so what do you think about this? Because this is my position, and I don't know how far away you are from this. But I feel like the, the basis of Christianity, let's use that as the, as the main staple, is something that's used to make people docile so that there is no... There is no um, there's no desire to, to confront what takes place in colonialism and slavery and the domination of, of a group of people by white supremacists or colonialists or imperial powers. You know, like if you look at if you look at where the evangelicals are going, like they go to Uganda, for example, and they are they and when they when they go to Nigeria, when they go to these places, they essentially change the culture. They essentially right. create a, a group of people that are complacent on a on a belief level, right? So it's easier than 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 putting a yoke around somebody because you own their their the way they think, the way they relate to themselves, the way they relate to other people. And this has been happening for a long time. The world is like while the world is changing, it's also changing in in the way they think the evangelical camp has a pretty strong grasp in the global south and they are right. the rival to any of these socialist movements i i think okay and, and maybe this is me but it, it, there is no way that you could see the world for what it is and believe that there is a a a, a, a benevolent and merciful god it wouldn't make any sense because there's so much death, misery, and 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 frustration just on just on uh, you know on a, on a singular generation level, let alone generations of people. They've legitimized the way they they plundered and taken shit from us. You know. Uh, by the way, ding dong, the queen is dead, right? Queen bitch is yeah. dead. But these people have been doing this for, for, for a long time, and Christianity's always been right there with them. So for somebody like Cornell West, and he's not alone because there are other people that – even Chris Hedges to a degree, you know, they, they kind of they, – they, they very warmed up to the idea of Christianity and, and, its, and its moral principles. And, and, you know, like Cornell West talks about the, the black prophetic tradition. I, I don't buy it. Like this is still bringing the enemy back home. So whatever critique or whatever whatever change or whatever you were doing is essentially not really doing much if you're still continuing the same normative thought that existed before, right? Well, I think for some people, uh, religion, and I say religion, I don't want people to just think about, uh, look at it as Christianity. For some people, religion gives them hope. Uh, it gives them faith. It gives them something to believe in. and 
So I think that's, it's good for some people and not everybody. I say the same thing about college. College is not good for everybody. Um, but I think that, you know, for Cornell West, I know that uh, Nick had talked to him about this before last year on RBN. And Dr. West had explained that, like, for him, like, that's where he finds, like, hope and, and faith and stuff like that. But but you got to understand, Schnarf, like, for, I can't speak for everybody else, but for the Black community, that's, it's kind of ingrained in our culture. Um, and the, the, the thing that you mentioned about uh, Christian groups going abroad and all of that kind of stuff, again... The Bible tells you that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to spread that message and you're supposed to, uh, for people who are, not, who are not familiar with this, they have missionary groups and they travel uh, internationally and basically like spread Christianity and stuff like that. Um, and, and I get what you're saying too. That does take away from the culture that people have there as well. Um, and who is to say that, Christianity is necessarily the right one. And and this is another thing that has been brought up before too. Who's to say that Muslims aren't right? Who's to say that Buddhists aren't right? We don't know, right? So so also when you look at like religion, that's another thing that does divide us. But I think that I think that some people are just looking for something to have faith in and some type of hope. That's, that's a weakness in, in, in being human. That's something that needs to be transcended, at least, at least in my perspective, right? If you, if, you need, if you need to believe in something in the sky, then we're fucked because the only, th- the only thing we have is us. Me, myself, and I, and everybody else in, in that continuum, that's all we have. We have each other. And as long as we, we believe that there's some higher power, we're going to be failing at the end of change because the wealthy control that narrative, right? I mean, it, it, it doesn't matter what religion you subscribe to. At some level or another, the wealthy dictate the narrative of that religion. Yeah. So, I can see that too. I, I will say, and that. if something is ingrained in, in culture, if something is, is if something is a cancer, if we have a cancer in our body and we can rip it out, then it, it is painful. And yeah, your your grins and your parents are going to look at you and they're going to say, "What are you talking about? No, no, no!" But you're going to have to do it at one point. You're going to have to rip that shit out, and you're going to have to you're going to have to walk away from it. Because it hasn't given you shit in in so long, and and at some point or another, it's been poisonous to generation after generation of people. Yeah, and I, I totally hear that too. I, I think you know. Again, I live in Massachusetts, so it's a little bit different here. But um, I have lived in the South, where it's the Bible Belt, and there literally is like a church like every other block. I mean, it's. That's just kind of what you do. Like you, Sunday comes around, you go to church on Sunday, you go to school on Monday, Wednesday comes around, Wednesday night, you go to Bible study. Like, it's just, it's kind of like, it's really ingrained in the culture so much more down there. Um, But yeah, I mean, these are all good points, you know, but I mean, I will say, you know, that is something that Chris Hedges and uh, Cornell West have always been upfront about. They never tried to hide that. I will say that. I, I, and I respect that, but you know, ultimately, I think I think we need to we need to make, especially with people of of the global South and people in America, we need to we need to make the word atheist not such a dirty thing. 
And by the way, being an atheist is not a white thing either. Like I, I, when I hear that shit, that shit just drives me crazy. Oh, oh, that's a white thing. Like, what the fuck is that? Well, most African Americans live in the South, and that's probably where that came from. The fact that people are like, "Oh, atheist is a white thing," because most African Americans live in the South, and that's the Bible Belt. So that's probably where that came from. Um, but yeah, I'd like I I hear where you're coming from. I mean, people have a right to believe in whatever they believe in, but. You know, I will say, like, I'm not going to tell someone that they shouldn't go to church or whatever. People have to do what they feel works best for them. Um, but and I think I think I the minute say, people start saying that, that, that's when the change is going to take place. Savvy. I think that's that's the new that's the that's the final step in in actually preparing for a revolution is getting rid of of the cultural fetishism that that has kept us down. When we take the false idols and we actually break those shits and we start looking in the mirror and we deal with 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 the with the lies that we've been told for so long, that's when the R word comes out. For now, we just you know we, we kind of it's kind of masturbatory. We just we just kind of feed ourselves this narrative of possibility, but the real possibility is when when those false. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much, uh, Schnarf. Okay. We're going to bring in Frank here. All right, Frank, you just have to unmute. Frank, I think I'm just going to make you a speaker. It might just be an app issue. Yeah, so I invited you to speak. So you just have to accept that and then it'll make you a speaker. So it might just be an app issue. Um, but until then, I'm going to go ahead to Karthik. Karthik, you're the next caller. Hey, Sabi, what's up? Uh, well, I definitely like some of what Shinar said about um, the uh, religious aspects. Like, um, so I grew up in a very religious household and um you know, certain parts weren't fun because, like, I would get beat, like, for asking, like, questions or whatever. So, like, I'm definitely, like, very anti-religious, um, pretty much. Uh, but, what I, oh, I also wanted to congratulate you on, like, having, like, a really successful call-in show. Um, like, I, I think, like, earlier today you had, like, I think 11 or 12 callers waiting. Like, probably almost as half as much as, like, Jimmy Dore or Brianna Joy Gray does on their call-in show. So, you know, it's pretty impressive that you've, like, become so popular here in like short amount of time i just want to congratulate you on that um but uh earlier you're like maybe like half an hour ago or hour ago you were talking about like how like people like uh mild kalinsky and uh crystal ball you know who i used to like both of them i used to like a lot are pushing marion williamson and you're like hey why are they doing that um like obviously like i don't know for sure why but I guess one theory is because they have their um, Crystal Kyle show and friends where it's like the premise is like, hey, if you become a premium member, you can get like the whole access to a weekly show. And pretty much every weekly show is going to have like some famous or quasi famous person, you know. And so because like their model is getting like some famous person every week, they have to like maybe do some access journalism, you know, so they want to try to build up, uh, sorry, build up Marion Williamson. So if she does run for president or if she 
gets like more power, like more importance in the future, then they can have like a lot of access to her. I guess that's one theory I have about why her, um, why those two are trying to uh, build up Amir, uh, Williamson. Oh, Karthik, that's interesting. I never thought about that. Um, but that that is interesting. Uh, she does know a lot of people. Like I said, she used to be Oprah's spiritual advisor. Um, yeah, honestly, I'm, when I first heard that, I was like, I'll be against her. <laughs> uh, you know, Marianne's a really nice person. Like, I, I yeah, will, I will say nice. this. I'll, I'll, I'll say this. When I first started my show, Marianne Williamson was like, was she the third guest? I think she was the third guest to come on my show. I'm not kidding. This was over a year ago. Yeah, this was last year. Either February, it was either early February, late January. And nobody knew who I was. Um, And... You know, she came on to talk about her her reparations plan that she had as a part of her campaign. She came on and talked about that, and we talked about public education. Um, I think on issues like that, she's really good. It's just the foreign policy, no, 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 no. She's come around on Medicare for All, which I think is good, but... Well, I know she's know, come I, around it on, on a couple times. Like, I've heard her flip back and forth more than once. So I'll wait to see what her uh, latest... Uh, thought of the day is when she runs for president. I don't know. I mean, I I saw someone ask her if she was going to run, and they and she said, "Who was it that asked her that?" I think it was Katie Helper asked her that not too long ago, and she said, "You would know if I was going to run." So I I don't I don't even know if Marianne has actually committed to running for president. Yeah, I, I know. Um, you think in the future, like if she were to run, like then I'll pay attention to what she says, but not right now. Well, let me ask you a question: If Marianne Williamson decides not to run, then who do you think will be pushed next? Who will be pushed next? Well, I was gonna say establishment, but like whether it's progressive or establishment, they're gonna do mostly the same thing. But so I'll just say. Um, well, I'm sure it seems Gavin Newsom really wants to run for president. Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! I hit the wrong button, Karthik. I'm in. I'm. I'm making you a speaker. I'm inviting you to speak. And same thing with you, Case. I'm inviting you to speak. I messed up. Uh, go ahead, Karthik. Finish what you were saying. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think you said like, who do you think will run? Well, I definitely think Gavin Newsom is going to run eventually, whether it's 24 or 28. Like, because I live He's in awful. California, yeah, and like, and like, the I guess it's not good, but I guess one skill he has is like, he's like good at kind of coming off a slick politician, which obviously people like us hate. California is like, like you know, a very uh, deep blue state. You know, there's a lot of people that like him, that are, uh, that like his style, at least I should say. Um, like in the recaution, like some people thought it would be close with him and Larry Elder, the Republican running, but um, he won like seventy percent of the vote, so it, it was very easy. Um, and, yeah, I yeah. mean, it just, it just. Gavin Newsom to me, whenever I see him, he reminds me of a soap opera character. 
He looks like he would be on like General Hospital or something and he would be the character that's really charming and nice in the beginning and everyone thinks he's like this good guy and then he turns out to be like a serial killer or something. That's what he reminds me of. Yeah, and he's married um, to, fuck, I forgot her name. But anyway, so he's married to this one lady, like he made a movie about um, like girls kind of being like treated unfairly by the media and like being taken advantage of like uh, young girls specifically or, or even like maybe young women like i'd say under 25 or under 30 um and what what people find out recently was that she's actually friends with that jeffrey uh, jeffrey epstein <laughs> yeah well who, it seems like who wasn't friends with him at this point i mean gavin newsom is related to nancy pelosi by marriage for people really? who are not i did aware. not know that so oh yes. Yeah. Oh yes. He's related to her by marriage. Um, and there's also news on the street that Nancy Pelosi's daughter is also gonna try to enter Congress. So I don't like these political dynasties. I'm not a fan of that. The Bushes, the Clintons, I'm done. The Kennedys. Um Yeah, the Kennedys, the like, no, I just don't think political dynasties are healthy, but Gavin Newsom, I think he's another one. Like, I think he would be horrible. And like, I have talked to people in California and they told me that he's actually not as popular. People think. Yeah. Well, like I personally don't know anybody that likes him, but most like, cause I'm mainly friends with like either like conservatives or like, or lefties like us, you know, like people that like have been like deprogrammed from all the propaganda lefties. Um, but yeah, like, I don't, like, I, I obviously like, I know some people that are very blue partisan, but um like i'm not that like i like i'm friends with them but not really like barely so i i, I don't know if it's like he won twice i mean you know a lot of support in the recalls i'm guessing there's a lot of people that like him well look at who he ran against larry elder oh yeah the, that guy's a total clown like like he's, he's just ridiculous. a he said yeah. that slave owners should get reparations you guys hear me larry yeah, no, elder like, a like black a man total moron yeah said that slave owners should get reparations. This guy's ridiculous. But there were third-party uh, candidates that were running, too, and that would have been a good time for people to say, you know what, I don't like Gavin Newsom or Larry Elder. I'm going to vote for the third-party candidates. Yeah. And speaking about, uh, I guess, Crystal Ball again, like from earlier, uh, I, I think that uh, interview that she did with Brianna Joy Gray, like, pretty much she just revealed herself because she used to, like, seemed like she had like a very like, like like adversarial relationship with the democratic party but like i just saw the first 20 minutes of her interview with brianna joy gray and it was pretty clear that she's like in the uh, blue no matter who thank tank yeah i think it was a mask off moment for her it really was revealing when she said like i'm concentrated on winning the presidency and i was like ah so now we know like that's yeah. that's all you really care about and i think it was just some of the things that she said, I think so many people commented on that video. I know like we did at RBN and, and I did on my channel as well. Like we were just like, this is such a mask off moment for her. And it's just like, when, when Brianna Joy Gray said like Joe Biden broke his promise to HBCU students, Crystal was like, yeah, I, I understand that. But that right there, let me know. You, know, you got to be a, a good little Democrat, Sabrina. You you got to vote blue no matter who. Exactly. Like, it's just, no, man. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I question. 
I question some people's intentions and, and some of these ambitions. I, I really do. And, and honestly, my goal is not to win the presidency. Like, see, that's the difference. My goal is to organize people. My goal is to get people to help people in their community. That's my number one goal, not to win the presidency. And I think there's a big disconnect there. If your number one goal is to win the presidency and you don't win it again the second time around, what are you going to, or actually third, third time around, what are you going to do next? You're either yeah, going to pivot. Like, yeah, yeah. You're either going to pivot to establishment Democrat candidates or you're going to switch to something else, right? Well, you're talking about like, like I, I you're talking about establishment, but well, there really is no difference now between the establishment and the progressive. Very little difference, I'd say, at least in action, not words. But you're talking about like how, like, you know, you just based on what you just said, like, and I know, like, it seems like Crystal and Sagar, and Sagar is just like the opposite, like, vote red no matter who. Um, but it seems like they're really trying to, like, you know, expand breaking points as much as possible. Like, maybe, like, they, I'm sure they want it as big as TYT or even bigger because I'd say TYT is going down. And so, you know, because, like, they're hiring people, they, I'm sure they want to have access to a lot of different uh, candidates because, like, they focus on electoral politics a lot more than uh, people like us do, you know? So, you know, she may be making compromises, like, consciously or subconsciously and, like, and holding her tongue and stuff like that. Um, I, I don't know if you remember, but I think like last year, like she and Marion Williamson and some other people had like a three and a half hour show. Um, oh, I remember. With like all the Justice Democrat style types, the candidates. And um, so, yeah, like, and like, I, I have no idea if uh, uh, those people lost or won. Like, obviously, the primary is over, but the general elections, you know. So, I have no idea if they won or lost their primary. But I'm sure in the future she wants to do um, events like that more, you know? I don't know, because they got ratioed for that that panel. They well, got I'm ratioed. saying like, like, like events that like build access, you know, like like it's kind of like a, a networking, like you can say. Yeah, I, I think so. But most of those people lost. Oh, OK, yeah, I, I, I didn't really follow their race. Yeah, because they 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 got ratioed for that event. They got ratio, not just by like, and I want to be very clear, not just by like us at RBN, but other channels ratioed them too. And other channels were like, what the hell are you guys doing? <laughs> like, why are you asking people for money again? So it was just really, you know, I, I don't know. I felt like it was a tone deaf moment. I felt like they really just weren't, they didn't have their ear to the street. They didn't really hear what people were saying in working class and poor communities about doing this strategy or about donating money to people again after we've donated so much money to Bernie Sanders and members of the squad. So yeah, they got a lot of heat for that. In fact, um, Bree and Katie did a call in episode after that with CJ um, from RBN and CJ, you know, if you guys watch RBN, like CJ doesn't hold back and CJ just told yeah, him, he's sure. like, what the hell are we doing? <laughs> like, okay. So, I, I didn't know that happened with CJ. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was he He really let them know, like, what the hell are we doing? He said this strategy is over. And so, you know, that that I think. I don't know, maybe if it hadn't been for like RBN. Maybe they they we that conversation would have never happened. I don't know. But I, I think it really kind of woke them up to the fact that like, yo, people not really feeling this anymore after Bernie and the squad have been like have disappointed us, basically. 
Yeah, I'd say, well, I think that's why about Marion Williamson is I think the best thing you can say about her, at least specifically on foreign policy, is that she's naive, and I'm kind of being kind about that. And I say that she's naive because, like, when, like, when Crystal Ball was, like, defending her on Afghanistan, because, you know, she, Marion Williamson said, oh, we got to stay there for women's empowerment. And I was thinking, you know, like, I, I don't think bombs give women's uh, voting rights or whatever. But, um, and then Crystal was defending her. Well, you know, um, some people are scared, and like Marion Williamson knows some people that want uh, the military apparatus to stay there. You know, and I was thinking, like, I'm pretty sure the Taliban has like more power now than they did 20 years ago when we went there. So mm-hmm. at best, we're just useless, and we're not helping. But obviously, it's much more sinister than that. Um, and then well... last thing I want to say. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say that um, well, well, Marianne definitely knows um, people yeah, have I challenged agree. her multiple times and, and tried to explain to her, this is not actually correct statement. Um, this is what the conflict is about. This is what's going to like people have talked to her about this multiple times. Yeah, maybe she's just one of those people, like one of those lefties that doesn't care about foreign policy. It seems like there's like a lot of like, like, like uh, a Warren. She doesn't seem like she cares that much about foreign policy. And, like, there's obviously many lefties now, I think, that, like, just are like, okay, if we focus on domestic policy, it's all good. And then we can do whatever on foreign policy. That's the scary part, because that's actually an element where the president can act without the approval of Congress. Yeah, yeah. and, you know, like, whatever president, like, it doesn't matter how left-wing they are, like, like even if, like, Chris Hedges were to become president— which would not, but like in case like somebody like as radical as him would be president, like even like the CIA would be like trying to pressure him as much as possible to bomb, you know, no matter who it is. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's so, a good last point. thing I want to say quickly is, um, so you talked earlier about like how much mutual aid was wasted on Bernie, like or like what I mean, like sorry, potential mutual aid that was like hundred, two hundred million dollars, and like what it could have been done if it was like put for like a like a mutual cause for people and so i only gave about like hundred dollars to bernie over the two campaigns so like that's probably a lot less than most people but i felt the same way you did because i like over 10 years when i was a tyt fan i gave like almost two thousand dollars and now i feel like it was all wasted too so that's something i didn't think about so thanks for bringing that up that's all i wanted to say that's a good point karthik thank you thank you so much um case i i, I want you to jump in here um there you go Hey, much love, uh, Sabrina, to everybody in the chat. Um, yeah, I thought this, I wanted to talk to you because I got in a little late because uh, I'm at work. So uh, I didn't get a chance to watch your video yet, but I would definitely will go back and even watch um, this stream from the beginning. But um, I wanted to tell you, you did an excellent job with the African People Socialist Party chairman. Uh, I thought that was a very, I mean, when he got raided by the FBI, I didn't even know who the African People's Socialist Party uh, was. And now they were, he was on Katie Helper's show. He was on Democracy Now. And then he went on your show, which I was so proud of that you did such an excellent job with him. And I, I wish that I can go to, I think he named four different locations where they're located right now. And I really wish I had the money to just go there and see how they're set up like they're literally like a black panther of our day you know what i'm saying to a certain extent and they're doing exactly what we want to see done as far as mutual aid in their communities 
and growing movement in their own way. That's why the FBI raid intimidate them. But um, I, I would love to see more action in that uh, era, in that area. But you, of course, you know me, I'm, I'm always for growing the left ecosystem. So if you're for electoral politics, do you. If you're for mutual aid, do you. That's how I feel personally about um, this, the whole ecosystem. I just want us to grow. You know, I think that's something that we need to do. We need to have a million people in the Socialist Party. We need a million people in the Communist Party. We need a million DSA. We need a million, um, you know, uh, African people, socialists, their membership. I would love to see them grow. That's that's how I think about it. So that when we do have a march for Medicare for all, even if you had one percent from each of those groups, one percent of a million is a hundred thousand. You know, <laughs> imagine a hundred thousand from each of those groups marching on Washington. We would have been here yep. all the next day. You know. Anyway, I spoke enough. Uh, much love. Thanks so much, Case. You just brought up a good point, too, about Medicare for All. You know what? You're right. Like, I didn't know about that organization either before the raid. I yeah. think a lot of us didn't. And, like, if we had, we could have told them about the marshes for Medicare for All, too. And they probably would have been there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I definitely, like, they he invited um, you to uh, the different places. I think one is in St. Louis. So I think one is in Florida. And I, I mean, I know you can't, you know, you're limited in what you can do, but I wish somebody would go down there and maybe do a like mini documentary documentary. I know the um, Vanguard guys, they just went to Jesse Ventura's house and did a little documentary like somebody like that. Go there and show us on the ground what they're doing. That would be a great YouTube like to watch or a very a good clip to watch. I would really want to know how they set up their organization, especially doing my research for the mutual aid political party that I'm working on. Um, I would love to know how they have their um, horizontal structure organized, you know? Yes, absolutely. Because I, I think Nick is the closest to St. Louis. So I, I did talk to Nick the other night to see if he wanted to go out there. And he said, yeah, he's down. Oh, wow. So it would probably be Nick and maybe I think Rome might also be a little bit closer. So I, I'll ask Rome, too. But um, yeah. for me, it will be a little bit far for me. I can see what I can do. Um, But I think they're the closest. And since he already met me, it mm -hmm. might be good for him to meet them. So, yeah. Um, I'm going to reach back out to them and let them know that uh, Nick, at, at least for sure right now, Nick would definitely like to come out to St. Louis to see what they're doing. And uh, since you was talking about um, kind of uh, uh, like who for president, I think my top person I would love to see right now is Matthew Ho. If he doesn't get that Senate um, uh, seat, definitely if he could run. I think he's the brightest star for the Green Party. Mm -hmm. Green Party has right now. I'd love to see him run. And then, have you ever heard of a guy named Kenneth Mejia? He's now running for comptroller in L.A. Have you ever heard of him? The name sounds familiar. Is he on Twitter? He's on Twitter, Kenneth Mejia, and he's running on the Green Party ticket. And I think he's doing so well that when I, I just looked up his name and the establishment is attacking him right, right now. So you know you're winning or you could possibly win because I see I've looked up his name and the first uh, top story that came up in Google says, the former L.A. controller, Laura Check, blasts Mahia as unfit. So, <laughs> right? So if, if the establishment is attacking you, that means you have a possibility to win. So he's another bright star in the Green Party. It's just a matter of, you know, people like to see you win a seat. So if he can win that seat, he that would be a jumping pad, I think, for him as well. 
Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Frank, jump on in, Frank. I, I know you, you fell out a couple of times. I, I want to get to you. You just have to unmute. Okay. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay. Uh, um, I, I have actually been studying um, the, cor the corruption, the crimes, the racism, and, and misogyny of that's inherent in professional licensing and it's uh, associated fake regulation for a, over a decade now. So I, I would like to uh, um, share that knowledge um, and report to um, RBN and you um, about and in, in, in actually do some live, live stuff here in, in Denver, Colorado. I'd like to show you the, the legislature violating the law because uh, um, one of the things that the legislature here in Denver, in Colorado is supposed to do is they're supposed to what is called a sunset review to review all those licenses um, and and the regulation and the, they're supposed to go with it. And uh, they have a criteria that they must go, go through and so they don't go through the criteria. They just have the hearing and say, it's all good. Uh, and what, what, what the, um, the, the hierarchy of, of, of these is that these we have licensing corporations that are the same thing as, as the as the boards and uh, like the, the bankers board here in Colorado uh, is seven bank presidents and the two public members are actually lobbyists um, for those bank the, the Colorado Bankers Association a, a chapter of the American Bankers Association um, so <laughs> It, it's it we so we in you know th these are the same people that uh, um, have been do doing the redlining so they actually have a type one position that's on the level of the legislature and the governor within the government so they're telling um, uh, what you know <laughs> the rest of the government what to do and that's really our one of our biggest problems, you know, in, in each one of these boards is actually a corporation. And these are just representatives of that, like the American Institute of Architects um, and, 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 uh, and, you know, and so on, like even, even uh, um, money transmitters, uh, the Western Union president is actually the board for the state board for the money transmitters. I think, I think in Massachusetts, you have a banking commissioner who has worked for Goldman Sachs and I guarantee is a member of the American Bankers Association. So it, it's, they're not, they're not regulating anybody. They are regulating us. And um, some, of the, some of the licensing that, um, some of the licenses have a 99% denial. Um, uh, so, probability of denial. So um, less than 1% of people that apply um, after, after earning the degrees, the necessary education, um, uh, our, our CPAs, uh, acupuncturists, and architects all have um, a less than 1% uh, up, um, of, of, of chance of getting a license after you get your degree. And they just been putting up higher and higher walls since the mid '60s, and uh, like uh, one, one example is Crystal Ball actually has an inactive CPA's license, and uh, that her her uh, 
she got it in I think 2006 ish or 2007, and then very closely after that they upped the um, their education requirements. So despite the fact that Crystal has proven herself to be a CPA, she and that passed that that exam uh, is could no longer sit for the exam that she already passed. And I, I, and I know that there are many of those exams there. Um, you cannot, you, you cannot challenge any of the exams to the boards or even in court because the, um, all these corporations that give out the exams um, have put it in their policies, the board, the state board policies, and it's everywhere that you cannot challenge them so that they do cheat on exams. Um, I, I know this with the architect's exam and, um, you know, like uh, the, uh, the attorney's uh, bar exam, uh, the passing rate in California is 40%, while in Missouri it's uh, 78%. It's either Missouri is, has the, is the world's greatest law school or um, California or Stanford, UCLA, uh, USC, and Berkeley are just awful law schools, which <laughs> uh, that that's not a combo. Uh, uh, so that they're they're really they they cheat on these exams um, so that they can get the um, they can restrict the supply of possible owners. So if you're restricting supply, you're also um, you you can limit people that in that are in the club and have those licenses get to raise their prices and they do that uh, so that the whole game isn't there isn't any uh, public safety um, it's all just about restricting that so that those people can have more money and of course it's for the um, you know they they do it so that uh, they are more attached to the to the to the to the very wealthy that wealthy that really do run the government. So um, that that's that's really you know why the PMCers are um, so arrogant and so attached to the to the wealthy. Um, so um, it's it uh, you know that that thing we can't win. But I really hope what uh, we can expose this um, and expose the what what the what is being done with our government to protect the PMC class. Um, so it's really 99 per, to 1% issue. It's really an 80% to 20% issue. Um, and the racism is, is terrible. Um, the architecture registration exam that I, I mentioned that they I know they cheat on, um, that started in 1965 and includes all wrong answers on the, on the multiple choice tests which includes, um, uh, so that started in 1965. So basically the poll test, test went from 1964 um, from voting rights to, uh, uh, to, to that. And it's only 1% of all architects are black. Um, all the uh, medical doctors are, have been at 3.8% black medical doctors of all medical doctors for 44 straight years now. It hasn't budged up or gone down. The number of women black medical doctors has gone up while the number of black men medical doctors has gone down. So there's a lot of rigging going on. And, and of course, the, the of all of women and any, and any women black 
um, Hispanic, Asian, indigenous combined still make from less than 2% of all um, own, own banks. Um, the rest of it is all white men. So it's more than 98%, I believe, are um, owned by banks are owned by white men have a, a majority control. So we we have a serious that's that's really a, our our biggest diversity problems and I've asked for 27 separate record demographics in our 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 de Colorado's Department of Regulatory Agencies and our legislature is supposed to evaluate and analyze to encourage affirmative action, which means that they have to have demographics. They can't. There's no way you can evaluate and analyze to know if you need, even need a affirmative action. And um, so there's, uh, without those, dem they, have, they have denied me those records 27 times and 27 different professions. So I have quite a bit of knowledge that I could probably go on for a long time, but <laughs> um, I, I, and I, I know no audits in 20 years on any of these boards or licenses. Um, in, in now 20 years. So, uh, and I, wow, so. that's, yeah, Frank, that's, that's, I mean, uh, some of that is honestly not surprising to me. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, that's a lot of information you guys like definitely take that in. Um, if you're not aware of that, because I mean, it, it's been a problem for a while and it's not just yeah. Colorado. No, no, this is nationwide. I mean, it, it's, it really, I mean, some of the Colorado statistics are, um, there are no black landscape architects in the whole state. Um, there are only 18 black licensed architects in the whole state and only one is a woman. There are seven, out of 7,200 and some. So, I mean, it's, it's really has been about keep, keep those licenses, I see it as just keeping black people out to protect, um, you know, oh, the white male um, uh, and white male wealth is all it is about. And so that's, that's where the, that's where, our, that's really our shadow government and really where the, um, the power is in our government and the, and the ones protecting it are fiercely, it's, it's the Democratic Party even though the Republicans actually set this up historically. So um, it's, I mean, the Department of Regulatory Agencies here in Colorado was actually created by Republicans and they're supposed to not like reg regulation. So it, it's not regulatory agency. It's, it's really a white male wolf protection plan. So I, I'm hoping I can, I can help you out with reporting on that type of stuff for, for the, for, a, you know, well into the, the, um, legislative session actually starts in January, and I'd hope I'm hoping I can do some live shows on that too, and, and write some articles. I do have a website, ColoradoPeoples.com, that I need to start putting out some some more articles. I've I've started a bunch, but I need to finish them. Awesome, sounds good, Frank. Um, yeah, just email me. I'm actually I have an adoption case I'm I'm working on. Um, that I, that's gonna take priority because that's been a couple of months. Um, so I will be going to that, but definitely just like email it to me. My emails are crowded. So, uh, it has been, a, yeah. if, I, if you guys don't hear back from me, you send me an email, you don't hear, hear back from me, just resend it because chances okay. are it got lost in my inbox somewhere. I'm just being honest with you. Um, yeah. 
But thanks so much, Frank. I, I'm going to yeah. end with these last three uh, callers here. Um, yeah, and I, I do just want to say that um, I, I have trouble getting this information out because if I go to more than 300 followers on Twitter or, or you know, the, the Democratic Party tells Twitter to get rid of me. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> some things I won't put on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Some things I'll put on there. Um, okay, thanks so much, Frank. I'm going to bring in uh, Gilbert. I think you're the next Thank caller. You. Hello? Hello? How you doing? Man, you going strong today. That's that's amazing. Right, so you hit the YouTube and and you're still on uh, on calling. The whole show's been has has been um entertaining for sure. I I wanted to address something that Snarf had brought up and then something that you uh commented on which um is interesting. The whole um religious phenomenon uh, that I kind of touched on earlier as well, and I'm sure many others have. Um, just out of curiosity, um, do you um you said you were you went to um Pentecostal church or evangelical or something? I forgot exactly which one you mentioned, but um, do you do you believe in Jesus Christ? I don't know what I believe in these days, Gilbert. It's been a long time. I mean, I, I went to Pentecostal church when I was in high school for like a year. Um, and I, before that, I went to Baptist church. And no, actually, sorry. Before that, I went to a non-denominational Christian church. Before that, I went to Baptist church. And after Pentecostal, I went to another non-denominational Christian church. The, nom the non-denominational churches, I will say, that was probably like my favorite just because it's way more chill. Like people don't dress up to come to church. You can wear jeans. And like I said, we had a band. Like when people would get up and sing, like it was a band. It wasn't like the choir. When I went to Baptist church, it was a black Baptist church. And so like my grandma was a part of the choir. Um, my aunt was a part of the choir, very different style. And then as, as time went on, like the non-denominational churches started to become a more popular because it was more relaxed. Like I said, I, I didn't have to get dressed up to go to church. And when I was a kid, I did like, I had to, like, that was just, you did not go to church in jeans. So when those churches came about, I was just like, oh, this is so much more relaxed and this is so cool. And I can kind of feel this. So it was, it was different. Um, but it, it's been a while. I mean, like with the pandemic and everything, I haven't been to church in like, it's been years. So, so that's a maybe <laughs> potentially now, but yeah, I, I hear you though. Okay. I hear you. So you're, you're kind of your spirit. Do you consider yourself spiritual or religious? I honestly don't know. Like it again, like, I think what you have to understand is that I'm in a state that was shut down. And so I've kind of lost connection with a lot of things, a lot of things. It's okay. still not completely a hundred percent normal here anymore. Mm. You know, like you, you could probably go into some places like here without a mask, but it's still, it's still weird. If, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, cause, um, just to because of that situation and because like the religious um concept is like embedded in some cultures particularly like 
some Latin American, uh, like the black culture, especially in the South, like all that. Um, I wanted to comment on that. So um, one thing that I obviously I, I agree with uh, Schnarf with with his point of like, we should really just tackle the, the situation head on and, and not, you know, sugarcoat it. Um, but one thing I would say, though, sometimes like the situation, it's like really difficult or or too shocking sometimes. So I do understand that for for people to even be receptive, if they even if you have even a hint uh, of being like, you know, uh, an atheist. So, you know, for some reason, it, it still has that kind of stigma, even the word for some reason. But uh, one thing that, like, one of my um, heroes, Hugo Chavez, down in Venezuela did is he basically flipped it because, um, obviously, I, I don't I don't believe in Jesus, but, um, but I respect it. I mean, I can sit down with a Muslim, a Christian, a Jew, and a Satanist, respect them all as humans, have a meal with them, and, you know, have a conversation with them without condemning them, you know? Um, but one thing he did is because it's in Latin America, it is kind of hard is he embraced some Christianity, but basically he would get on TV and basically, you know, he had his show and he would say that Jesus was a socialist. And what he would do is because there is a lot of socialistic, communistic, uh, you know, uh, ideas in a lot of the, the um the bible so like basically he would use like you know and obviously i mean even we all know that you know the bible says like it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven right so i mean that's in the bible i'm just saying like and you can actually go in and list them right right create a type of leftist ideology but at the end because the the main church is conservative, it's a counter revolutionary um, institution. So it, it does kind of come back because even Chavez would be fighting with a lot of these bishops that were more conservative politically. Turn that off. How do you Ooh. want it? Woo. How do you feel? That? Growing up in a <laughs> hey man, real revolutionaries up in here, you know. What I mean? but, yeah, and that's another thing too. I was just commenting about that, you know, because it's like, man, like the only person that I feel could have brought anything like that, you know, change and, and, and unified really the 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 struggle on many aspects would have would have been honestly Pac. like th- there really isn't anyone yep. that's as doesn't you know that there isn't a fred hampton right now like i hate to say it because there's met there's many leftists but i mean that oratory is missing missing right now like that passion that that just you know earlier actually someone had brought up uh what was it a killer and uh, he said oh i call like a minute and you know she uh was um talking good or whatever like she she was inspiring um actually the i think the full speech that she gave is available on some fox of all of all channels um 
like newscast where they gave like her whole 15 minute um um speech so I don't know if the gentleman's still on because I know he was one of the earlier ones, but definitely wanted to highlight that. And then also did want to bring up the the connection because you said, you know, it's like different down here. So I kind of I understand because it's I, I mean, I would wish, hope that we could all just in my mind, not to offend anybody, you know, just be adults and be like, OK, look, the supernatural world and those ideas are one thing. And then the natural world is a whole nother thing. And that's the one we have to deal with, you know, without really sugarcoating it. Like, be able to say, you know what? You guys have to be open to the possibility that, you know, the man that, you know, Jesus Christ never actually, you know, never actually existed. Like, you know, that's like hard for people to even swallow. So it's, I mean, that's a whole nother can of worms, you know? But um, I just wanted to bring that perspective of uh, just, you know, the liberation theology history and how Chavez basically took a similar situation where you had um, people that, that were inspired by a person and were kind of religious. And he basically flipped it and said, look, cited a couple passages that, that were leftists and said, you know, Jesus wasn't you know, a capitalist, like he, he, he is a socialist, you know, and he basically explained it, you know, unfortunately, at the end of the day, though, we have to also understand that, like, the, the book, that book also says that, you know, the, he told someone to put mud in, you know, in their eyes, and he cured blindness and brought people back from the dead. And, you know, like, I mean, the Old Testament got some stuff where, you know, wooden canes turned, you know, into snakes and all like, we have to understand, like, it's just like, Santa Claus is like the make believe for like little kids, and then like religion is like the Santa Claus ish type version for adults, like in a weird way, you know, like everyone's in on the joke type thing, you know, and it just feels weird, you know, like my son, for example, like, um, right, <laughs> the one that turned on the TV and you know, Pac was blasting on because I was listening to it earlier. I never told him about you know, Santa brought you a gift or whatever, like if. Even when he was young, I'm like, hey, Santa don't exist. You know, I feel bad lying to him, you know, and, and, and saying, you know, because it's like deep down, like, it's it's not the truth. I, you know, it just, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about that one, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's a little bit different. I mean, like, um, I mean, I think when you're, when you're talking about like those aspects of it, I mean, some people can say the same thing about witchcraft. When I was in high school, like one of my best friends, mom was a witch and I've never told anyone this till this day. So you guys are the first to hear this, but my best friend's mom was a witch, like a real, like legitimate, like, like she practiced witchcraft. Uh, like she was Wiccan or like an actual like witch, like a sa like satanic witch or like. She wasn't satanic, um, but she, she practiced witchcraft. And it was some weird shit. Like, I, I'm not even going to kid you. Like, I was just like, what? Like, <laughs> like we were friends for a while before she told me what her mom did. And I didn't believe her at first. And then one time I spent the night, we had a sleepover at her house. And I was just like, the fuck? I, I remember still thinking about this to this day. And like, I saw like all these different like stones and crystals and shit. 
And I was just like, what is this? She's like, well, that's the da 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 My mom uses that for, you know, her rituals. And I was like, what the fuck? conducting seances or what? <laughs> that was my last sleepover at her house. Like, I thought she was joking at first, but no, she was for real. Like, her mom was like, her mom did like practice witchcraft. And it was some weird shit because especially like, I went to high school in North Carolina and like, that was not accepted, like down South. And so, so, the, so the Ouija board she gave you for your birthday wasn't a strong enough hint, huh? <laughs> she never gave me anything for my birthday, but it. she was like, yeah, she was on some of that other stuff. But I was just like, wow, because I had never met a real like like witch before ever in my life. And then when I went to college, um, I met a girl who was Wiccan. Uh, in fact, till this day, she's still Wiccan. Her whole family is. Um but yeah, like that was new to me. Like I, I didn't even think that was real. I thought that was only something I saw in like movies, like The Craft. So yeah. I was just, what? What though? In a weird way, it kind of loops back around to politics, though, because you know, like if you look at a lot of these organizations that you know, like the CIA or whatever, and their origins, you know, and their connections with like the Skull and Bones secret society, you know, connected to Yale and how like. It, oddly enough, in, on you know, in 2004, like we had, you know, George W. Bush, a former member of the Skull and Bone Secret Society, whose father was a member and his, you know, grandfather was a member, you know, uh, was up against the Democratic supposed opposition, which was John Kerry, also a member of the Skull and Bones. And then if you look at the history of that society and the rituals that are conducted within that society, you know, it's like, yeah, like this kind of like weird witchcraft, occult secret societies are a part of, of, you know, the, the world we, we, in, we live in, you know, and what's, we have to also connect that to a lot of these politicians, how they can be compromised, you know, and even with the Jeffrey Epstein thing and not to get into like, conspiratorial stuff but you know just like you said you know you were exposed to it i mean the freemasonic rituals have been around for hundreds of years you know and and we know that the masonic influence um although not as strong as it used to be before um is it, still around and i mean it, it's it was around when george washington one of the uh, founding fathers and you know those uh, exhibits exist in in different Masonic temples with uh, pictures of him conducting rituals and you know mm-hmm. being present for uh, the cornerstones at some of the monuments in Washington and stuff like that. You know, so yeah, although that's kind of you know a, a loop around, you know, it's something we also got to be open to. But I did want to comment on that snarf thing, not to get on. On that side trail. Oh, no worries. Thanks so much, uh, Gilbert. I want to make sure I get these last two callers in. Thank you so much. uh, Before I head out, but thank you so much. Uh, Let's bring in uh, Samuel. Hello. Hello. Hi, it's uh, it's great to talk with you. I just, uh, I've never called into this show before, but uh, I really love your show. And um, I thought I maybe would just say a couple quick things. Um, Marianne Williamson came up. Uh, I like Marianne Williamson a lot. 
another caller said that she was described her as naive about foreign policy. And I really like her. And but I think that's a totally fair characterization. You know, I think that she there's certain areas she just hasn't been as informed about and kind of sometimes wades into them and says something naive. But what I like is that she seems to really learn. She seems to have learned and grown a lot since she got into this. Um, so I really appreciate that. And I think she has good character and I like her message. And, you know, I, I certainly like her. I don't know if she's prepared to win the presidency or if she'd make the best president. But I feel like, you know, if she's the standard bearer we have on the left, then I'll support her. That's just my feeling. I don't know uh, what you think about that. Yeah, you know, I, I, again, I think Marianne's like she's a nice person. Like I've I've had her on a couple times. Uh, that being said, I do have hard lines that I have to draw, and one of them is I'm not supporting anyone who is a Zionist. I'm not supporting mm -hmm. anyone who is running through the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, the two party system. I'm not supporting anyone who is okay with sanctions being put on people in Afghanistan and people are starving there because of it. Her foreign policy uh, policy issues are incredibly cringe. I will not be supporting that. <laughs> uh, so again, she she's a nice person, but does that mean that she should be president? And I think that's an important question for us to ask. Yeah, I think that's a totally, uh, totally valid point of view. I totally hear you. Um, I... I listened. I, I wasn't able to watch all of your interview with Cornell West yet. I watched some of it, and um, I also saw his. He just recently did one with Brianna Joy Gray too, and I like that a lot too. I find Cornell West to be a very reassuring person. Um, he sort of reassures me that there are like good forces in the universe, <laughs> and um, I think a lot of what I, there are several things that I really appreciated about what he said with you and with Brianna. And I really, I really like his magnanimity and his attitude that whoever you find any common ground or common cause with, go for it. Like, he seems to have, he has a lot of uh, confidence in his beliefs, which seems to me to be really lacking with a lot of people. A lot of leftists, and, also, and more specifically, a lot of leftists who are like actually pretty like lib. If you scratch beneath the surface, surface, if you know what I mean, I think there are a lot of those people around who have this sort of fear that I can't associate with people who seem like the bad guys because they all like get contaminated, you know, and they get these weird fears that. Oh, what if someone like Glenn Wald is really a Putin puppet? And there's sort of this fear of, of uh, subterfuge and this person's a secret right winger. And, you know, like the way Jen accused Brianna of being a, a fake leftist. Like, there's a lot of that sort of fear. And I, I just love the way Colonel West is so above that. It's like, look, uh, I have my convictions. I'm not worried that if I work together with someone who has some different views on this or that, that they're, I'm going to somehow be led astray to the dark side, right? Um, I, I just, I love that confidence. And 
also he he said a bunch of things in his interview with you that really struck me and they're probably not far off from things he said before but they sort of made a bigger impact on me what when he was talking about the professional managerial class and the fact that we're in a declining imperial core and there's all this decadence i think he used the word decadence and corruption is sort of moral decay and we have to like draw on our convictions and you know our spirituality to sort of fortify ourselves it because I, you know, I sympathize a lot with those those views, and it happens that I've written some articles that have been published in different magazines, making the same sort of arguments from what I consider to be a leftist point of view, and yet no leftist magazines would take them. Only like center right, like right leaning magazines would take them, and I've actually got a positive feedback from like conservative readers which is weird to me <laughs> it's it's ironic but i get the sense that like you know i've sent things to magazines like Ascent and n plus one i don't know if you've heard of these also jacobin none of them will touch them like they're kind of no yeah they're they're kind of uncomfortable like talking too much about class with jacobin being the exception they don't want to talk too much about class. One of them even explicitly said, like, you're using class too much. They don't want to talk about moral, like, character, moral decay or renewal, anything spiritual. It's like, out, out, out. Don't want to hear it. It's actually conservative outlets that are, like, open to what I'm saying, which is really weird. Um, and it made me, like, it was refreshing to hear Cornell West talking in those terms. So it's like, this is what I'm talking about. And it made me think if you, Cornell West's comments in his conversation with you, wrote them up into a little essay and sent them to a bunch of lefty magazines and didn't say this was Cornell would they take them? I doubt it. I bet they'd say, no, we don't like this. It sounds, they would say it sounds right wing, right? If you're talking about the professional managerial class, like, Either you're like a real, like a serious lefty leftist, or you're you're tarred as conservative or right wing, and you're like relegated out. That's been my experience. I don't know if you've had like similar reactions to things you've said, but it just it doesn't feel like we're always as leftists. We're always like kind of under this bizarre scrutiny of people trying to like excommunicate us and say that we're like secretly conservatives yeah and i'm gonna let uh case jump in on this one too um this has been happening a lot lately uh people who are further left have been we're being attacked as conspiracy theorists or we're being attacked as secret right-wingers which really doesn't make any sense because if if we were just grifters like they say we are, we wouldn't be secret right wing. We would be full right wing because that's really where all the money is for people who don't know. Totally. All the money's on totally. the right. All the money is with people like Candace Owens, Charlie Kirk, like all the people on the right. That's really where all the money is. They have a lot of money. Um, Sabby don't have that. Yeah. Sabby has like the room <laughs> that you see me sit in which was supposed to be an office. I don't really know what it is now, but <laughs> like you don't yeah. see me in a studio. 
you don't see me with fancy equipment. Like I have a little webcam on top of my laptop. That's what you see me use and a ring light. And that's pretty much it. So that's kind of where people are going now, but I want to let Case jump in here too. Yeah, yeah I, and, and I, I, I absolutely. I can't say only because I um I don't you know what I I, I don't watch, like read a lot of the um haters um like so the best thing I can say mm -hmm. is don't pay attention to this like if it's somebody you know then mm -hmm. that's somebody that you know hopefully offline you could talk to them but as far as there's so many a lot of people you don't even know if they're bots or not but um. Yeah, I, the one time I got a lot of hate was when I went after, um, I, I sent out a case study QB clip, and it, it was the one, um, Lauren Underwood was a representative, and, um, hold on one second, hold on one moment, and, and she was just so gleeful about passing that little crumb, the, the little bit of, um, it was like Medicare, um, I forgot exactly what it was that a couple more people were eligible for Medicare or something very small. Mm -hmm. And I was just me personally, I don't get triggered often, but the way she was just <laughs> smiling was so happy. And she's a nurse. I'm like, you know, this is crumbs. Mm -hmm. And so I put in the, um, my tweet, like something in regards to that. And like K hive just came after me. I remember, um, a mm -hmm. kid from heart lens media was with, uh, Nick, uh, from from RB and he, he mentioned it and he just there's so many like I don't know if they were bots or they were legit people from K Hive and I got a lot of hate that day but I was proud I, it was a badge of honor for me personally. Yeah, K Hive is scary. Um, <laughs> they they do function like as a swarm, but um, yeah, I just it's 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 a very weird position to be in and just like Savvy says, I'm saying like if I decided I'm going to be like the gay Jew who used to be a leftist and now I've gone conservative and now I'm going to go and be in like the Daily Caller and all that crap. I could be making bank. Like if that's what I decided to do, I could make plenty of money. And yet it's like just trying to say the things I really think and be like honest and straightforward. It's like you get you're 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 just suspect like the 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 range of acceptable opinion is so narrow like it's so stifling and i guess that's why you know i like savvy sebs and i like brianna joy gray and like it's it was like a revelation just seeing cornell west speak again and think like god like the the range of okay supposedly like pre-approved pmc lefty opinion is so small that I actually think it now excludes Cornell West. Like they're going to cancel him. If they haven't already. Like we're all getting canceled. It's just crazy. But, um, but I, I just wanted to say, I really appreciated that. And another person I really love who I don't think I've seen any reference to her being on the show, but if you want any sort of suggestions of interesting people to talk to, I really love Catherine Liu who um, kind of ha has really been pushing forward on this like real leftist class analysis, uh, opposing the manipulation of identity politics. She's really wonderful. And she wrote a book recently called The Virtue Hoarders about like the, you know, white collar upper middle class. And um, it's inspired a lot by Barbara Ehrenreich, who, you know, is a really great old lefty. And 
who just died recently. So um, I don't know if maybe that kind of makes it topical. I'm sure she would have a lot to say about Barbara Ehrenreich's legacy, but also just about this whole atmosphere of this kind of what seems to me like sort of a middle class liberal invasion of the left. (laughs) That's how it feels to me. Um, But either way, she's a really funny, wonderful person. So that's just my suggestion. Thanks so much, Sam. If you can just put that uh, her name in the chat. Yeah, um, that would be great. So I can like look her up. All right. Thank you so much, Sam, for calling in. All right, Roger Meadows, you are going to be the last caller. I wonder if you are on your Uber ride tonight. We'll see if we hear like uh, Roger Meadows with the left turn signal. Turn left. Oh, uh oh. Hello? Hello? <laughs> Hello? Okay, I can, can hear you. Hear me? Hello? Hello? Yeah. Hello? I'm here. Okay. All right. Can you hear me? 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 I can hear you just fine. Hello? 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 Uh oh. Roger, oh, I think it's your. This app is cuckoo. Um, Hold on. So... Let me make him. All right, I invited Roger as a uh, speaker, so let's wait on a second. I think there's just a delay. I think there's a delay or something like that. Roger, I invited you as a speaker, so you have to accept the invite. Oh, dear. So, I invited you to speak. It says Roger has been invited to speak. You have to accept it. Uh, <laughs> Roger, you robot. Boy. Sorry, Hello? hold on. Let me um, let me force mute. Okay. Okay. So I force mute and then invite to speak. Okay. Guys, this app is mad glitchy, right? Right, guys. Okay. So you are now a speaker. So Roger, just unmute. Okay. Okay, you're good. All right, so I'm going to try to run through this real quick because it's about to get busy at the U.S. Open. Boom. All right, here we go. The leader you want is in the mirror. It's not on the computer screen. It's not on the iPhone or phone screen. Once you realize that, you're not let down when, you know, like, you know, you have these people on or someone on YouTube says something that are like, oh, man, I'm brokenhearted. This guy disappointed me and so on and so forth. I looked at Dr. West and heard what he said and be like, oh, you voted for Biden? Huh, that sucks. And just moved on. It it didn't really affect me too much. And I think it's Hold on, hold on. Hold on, Roger, really quick. Am I the only one that knew that beforehand? Because I noticed some of the comments in the chat, people were like, oh, he voted for Biden. And I was just like, I thought everyone knew that. Uh, maybe, maybe I might've been the only case. Did you know that? Cause I thought we knew that beforehand that he voted for Joe Biden at the end. No, 
Yeah, no, I believe I I knew that he uh, voted for for Biden. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't I didn't know, but it didn't really affect me that much. I was just like, yeah, okay, you know, move on. Um, but we have to get out of the mind state of because we're still because I always say we have to start restructuring the way we think and and stop thinking in a hierarchical manner and think more horizontalism because when you're looking at the hierarchy you're looking for a leader everyone we're all looking for a leader to you know lead us to the promised land or lead us out of our misery and so on and so forth i keep saying the 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 leader once you recognize that the leader that you want is not on the screen it's it's in the mirror then when these people who you admire say things or do things you know that that disappoints you it's not that big of a fall you see what i'm saying so you have to, that's the whole spirit of worker cooperatives, mutual aid, ballot initiatives. They're all, they're not hierarchical. They're all like everyone in, everyone plays their position. Everyone is, you know, even or however you want to think and where you move as a unit rather than with, with a, with a mission and a goal to accomplish. Um, You see what I'm saying? So it's like, I don't know. It didn't. It didn't, But but here's the thing: once you start building these forces on the ground, and you start making moves, start building worker cooperatives. Oh, by the way, donate to the United States Federation of Worker Cooperatives, and you start running ballot initiatives. Donate to bisc.org, Ballot Initiative Strategies Center, um, and you start you know, pushing for public banks, all that stuff, publicbankinginstitute.org. Um, what you're going to, what's going to eventually happen is you won't have to go to politicians. Politicians will see your power and they'll come to you. And that's what you want. You know what I'm saying? You, you got to build that ground power uh, locally and statewide. You see what I'm saying? If, if you want to be able to exercise power and be able to know how to leverage it to where they're, you know, because you want, you want these people um, coming to you. Now, um, yeah, the, the thing with Alf Reed, if you remember, yeah, just going back to what he was saying about the police and how it started or whatever. Remember, I told you, he was talking where it came to the modern day police force. He was talking about how it started in Pennsylvania, Massachusetts. He didn't mention how it formed in the form of confederate states which is what which was where you was right on so that's right you see what i'm saying so you know just remember that um so you so in a way both of you was right just to depend on where in the country you, you're speaking on um also i'm going through all the things that i that i've heard by the way tonight uh ti admitted uh taking advantage of opportunity zones because I heard someone mention T.I. earlier. Um, once Killer Mike became um, a business owner, of course he shifted. Also, Talib Kweli got exposed by uh, the FBA movement over reparations. I'm not going to go too far into that. You could check that out yourself or whatever. So it, it didn't surprise me on any of that. Now, as far as Cube is concerned, well, I mean, he did catch heat for pushing uh, both Biden and, and Trump and he got labeled as a, I don't know how this worked. He got labeled as a Trump supporter when he was just like, yo, look, he's the president. 
I'm trying to get some reparations. I'm trying to get some stuff for black folks or whatever. And, you know, Kamala Harris team told me they ain't want nothing to do with me until they win. And they still didn't meet with him. Yet, Lil Wayne said, hey, I'm for Trump. And he received no heat at all. So, And then know. he went to jail. Yeah, yeah, because he was hoping that he was going to get uh, pardoned. And, you know, have, have that work out. Uh, you know, have that work out, uh, Lil Wayne. No, they out. called ice. They called Ice Cube a sellout. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. These, these freaking people got some nerve. Um, also, something else that was mentioned earlier. After years of calling every, because um, someone was talking about earlier about how the stigma of socialists has been removed, and I think one said Bernie and another one said somebody else. I, I forgot who it was or. Who were they talking about? But actually, let me tell you, I think it was this. After years of calling every politician with a D next to their name, um, uh, the GOP poked the bear until the bear woke up. You call the other party socialist long enough, it loses its effect. And now you're actually losing the 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 war of ideas I against socialism. Totally, Roger. I agree with that 100%. Go ahead, buddy. Um, fourth thing. So, yeah, Sabrina. So, I think you talking about Dr. King when you said that he was leaving nonviolence or whatever. I think the speech you're talking about was when he was um doing that interview in a church with ABC News. Is is that correct? When he was up on the lectern and he was looking down on the interviewer, was that the one you're talking about? I believe that's the one. Uh, when he said, looking basically looking back on it, yes. he wondered if being nonviolent was the right well, way. Yeah, you were. Oh, so I may I will um kindly um respectfully. Um, say that I think you're suffering the Mandela effect because I, when you said that, I went back to that speech and I wrote down the words that he said as, you know, like an hour ago when you mentioned or whatever. So this is what he said. We got our, um, we got our gains over the last 12 years at, um, what did, what the, damn, I can't even read my own handwriting, at a loss Oh, anyway, so to speak, it didn't cost the nation anything. In fact, it helped the economic side of the nation to integrate lunch counters and public accommodations. It didn't cost the nation anything to get the right to vote established. And now we're confronting issues that cannot be solved without costing the nation billions of dollars. Now, I think this is where we're getting our greatest resistance. They may put it on many other things, but we can't get rid of slums and poverty without costing the nation something. I feel that nonviolence it's, is, the, is really the only way that we can follow because violence is just so self-defeating. A riot ends up creating minimal, uh, uh, creating minimal problems for the Negro community than it solves. You can through violence, burn down a building, but you can't establish justice. You can murder a murderer, but you can't murder murder. Through violence, you can murder a hater, but you can't murder hate. And what we're trying to get rid of is hate, injustice, and all of these other things. So you might have interpreted that. At, now, you can say, 
he if he, he if he lived he might have made his way there but that's actually what he said in that in that interview so i so you know but he probably was on his way there you know anyway but that's he still was on the nonviolent thing but he did you know he was talking like malcolm x two years after he died one year before he died because after the dreams because he was they was reflecting on the dream speech okay and remember malcolm x said i see american nightmare and then king two years after malcolm x died had pretty much said the same thing he's like because he said i think my dream has become a nightmare um also i have oh i have to give a warning to people here um i now i sent you this um about talking points that talking points memo article uh if you think that oh wait a minute uh, that I, I don't think that's the same one uh i found it it says martin luther king at the end of his life was coming to understand the restrictions of nonviolence as a weapon against a violent oppressor who shows no moral compass Mm. There are limits to how long one can attempt to quiet a fire. Mm. That was that was the part. Sorry. DM me that. Okay. Um also, we have a fight that is going to that's coming down the pike. Now, this right here is the whole is the whole ball game. I know some people uh, be like, "Oh, I don't want to do a state by state strategy. I want to do a uh I want to just do it from top down and do the federal government. We're going to be put in. Oh, thanks. I just got it. Um, we're going to be put in a position where we're going to have to take these fights at state level. Um, Section 1983 of the 1871 Civil Rights Law allowed people to sue their state and local government for denying them federal benefits brought to us by the federal government, but administered by the state government. These would mainly be Medicaid, Medicare, Social Security, unemployment insurance. As it stands now, a case is elevating to the Supreme Court by a municipal corporation of nursing homes owned by the county. The lawsuit alleges, alleges by a family, um, by a family where a private equity-owned nursing home over over prescribed unnecessary medication to a patient family member of theirs. And since they get Medicaid Medicare funding, section 1983 of the 1871 Civil Rights Act allows them to sue. So this lawsuit that's heading up there, uh, they're looking to sever that, um, to sever that and kick it to the states. Wherever, whatever we like it oh so whether we like it or not this is going to be fought in the states um so yeah that so so you so they're going to completely as what they call sever the administrative state as in speaking in their language and um whether we like it or not once that happens we're going to have to these so that's the so the the dobbs decision that was a dry run you ain't seen nothing yet, is what I'm saying. And you already see everyone's fighting in the states now to uh, make abortion a right, or or the legislatures are saying, no, we're not going to make it a right. I mean, you already seen what happened with Michigan. 
you know, they, they tried to stop it from going on the ballot and it got on the, the judge said, no, it got to go on the ballot. Anyway, that and the, and, um, and uh, the amendment to expand voting rights in Michigan. So this is what I'm saying. We can't be reactive. We can't go, oh my God, oh my God. No, we have to have this shit in place already. Okay. We have to start um, um, assembling. Okay. And, and getting these ballot initiatives passed, start organizing worker cooperatives and all that different type of stuff and pushing our legislators, if we don't live in a ballot initiative state, to start protecting us, okay? Because if they sever that, if they're successful at severing, um, being able to sue under Section 1983 of the 1871 Civil Rights Law, they can violate you know, the, the, the states and municipalities can violate, you know, and still get Medicaid and Medicare funding. You see what I'm saying? So we have to create laws and, and stuff like that and, and start state versions of these programs. I'm talking a state version. I, I want to do a state version of Social Security. OK. Um, uh, New York Health Act or you know, Medicare for all in your state or whatever the case is, it would pretty it would cover everybody. So it would be under the umbrella. Everything that Medicaid and Medicare would do, it, it would it would go beyond that. You see what I'm saying? Um, so we Roger. Have, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Do you mean when you say it's security? Because we already have Social Security. It's not like we don't. It's not like Medicare for all where we don't have Medicare for all at the federal level. We have Social Security at a federal level. Do you mean like I've heard Kyle Kalinske talk about um, UBI to try to market it as Social Security for all? Is that what we're talking about, like a UBI at the state level? I'm just saying um, every every federal pro- mm-hmm. copy it, copy it and put it at state level. Just so like in addition instance. to what's already federally, so like you get two Social Security stat- um, checks. Sure, why not? Oh, okay, okay. I was just curious what you meant exactly. You um, mm-hmm. so we got so. Federal EPA, New York State, we have the um, the Department of Environmental Protection or in, in Department of Environmental Conservation. Um, at the federal level, we have the call it thing, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. At state level, we have the New York State Department of Finance Financial Services. Like these things do like the same job. You can pass a law that say whatever the federal standard is. The state standard should be should go beyond that. You feel you feel what I'm saying? So if if they do these things with parts per billion in water, you can't have too much of this. You can only have blah 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 parts per billion in water, like lead or whatever the case is. The state should go beyond that. The municipality should go beyond that. You, you feel what I'm saying? So everything that we got yeah. at federal level, you copy it at state level. Yeah, that's interesting. That's an interesting idea. You know what I mean? So, you know. I can see that, too. I can see that. Um, I'm actually trying to see if I can get uh, Mass Care to come on. They're trying to do uh, single-payer here in Massachusetts. We'll we'll see how Mm. it goes. But I'm trying to see if I can get them to come on and stuff like that. I don't know if Dave's on this call. He he contacted me. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I love to hear yeah. that. Mhm. He reached out and told me about it. And I was like, "Yay! Okay, let's let's see if we can get them to come on." Um but yeah, um yeah, case, definitely check out the interview. Um 
I, I was a little bummed about uh, one particular issue. I, I told uh, Dr. West that Joe Biden was. Who's uh, Sorry. Hello? Sorry. No, that was me yelling Tyler, the guy I'm supposed to pick up. My bad. <laughs> Keep talking. Oh. <laughs> I was Tyler. like, who is that? Tyler, right here. I'm over here. All right, keep going, my bad. Hey, hey, Sabs, I know you're wrapping up and I just got a phone call. So, but much love to you. Okay. Much love to Rogers and everybody. I'm definitely going to check out that interview and you guys have a weekend. All righty. Bye, Case. Bye, Roger. Guys in the chat, bye. Um, have a good weekend, guys. I'm heading out. Thank you so much for tuning in. Peace. Peace out.